0: Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, where this program considers things not just outside the box, but in many cases, outside the galaxy. And we're going to be doing that tonight. Uh, This is a show I've been looking forward to doing. Uh, finding the right person to do this kind of show is not easy. There are lots of fakers out there. There are lots of pretenders. There's lots of people that just, you know, give lip service to something that I think is really of, of more than passing interest, which is do we really, after we die, do we come back? And if we come back, where do we come back? Um, We're going to get into all of that. In the third hour, we're going to be joined by our resident metaphysician, Georgia Lambert, one of my favorite people, and I will introduce our guest uh, in a few moments. But first, I want to call your attention to our news at the top of the hour. Uh, We're leading tonight, as we did last night, with two very interrelated stories. The first one, of course, is the update uh, on La Palma. I'm really focusing on La Palma because I'm now getting uh, fear porn. And the quickest way to know when something is important and uh, people are trying to be distracted away from it is when they start sending out the fear porn. So let me recapitulate. If you are new to the show, you go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. That will take us to our homepage. And tonight, what you want to do is click on that banner at the top of the page, which basically says, the other side of midnight. If. So you once literally lived on another planet and now you can't remember when. So uh, my guest tonight, I'll get to momentarily, but once you click on that banner, that will take you to the guest page. And right under that banner, which is duplicated on the guest page, click on my name, and that will take you to my section of Radio Pictures. Top Story is the continually refreshed and updated page connected directly to La Palma, to the eruption and seismic events occurring ever since uh, September. There's an update there for October 10th, which of course is tonight, Sunday, here in the Land of Enchantment. And... um, What's really important about La Palma is in 1949, there was a major earthquake. I forget the magnitude on the Richter scale, but it literally split the island in half. And in the middle of this island, there is a very large uh, uh, volcanic vent, which is composed primarily of basalt, which is a heavy uh, iron rich material. This earthquake in 49, Sundered the island so there is a fault line running through the island from one side to the other and one half is kind of balanced by friction on the other half and it will only uh, be dislodged with a major seismic event or major swelling caused by internal gases coming up through the mantle and um, inflating the underground magma chambers under La Palma, which is now what is occurring. There is both a swelling of the island and periodic release of accumulated pressure. There are also seismic events. And um, we do not know the magnitude. There's a paper that goes back to the, uh, you know, 50s, maybe a bit later, that basically described the worst-case scenario where a seismic event and or a major inflation of the volcano causes about half the island something like 500 billion tons of basalt to slide at a couple hundred miles an hour when it really gets going into the Atlantic Ocean, which will create what is technically known as a mega tsunami, whose waves will then cross the Atlantic and go north and south through the entire North Atlantic Basin, spilling over into the Southern Hemisphere and the northern shores of uh, South America, Uh, Obviously, the Caribbean islands, um, the inland areas of the Gulf along the coast. And this wave will travel at the speed of sound across the Atlantic and impinge, depending upon how far you are away from La Palma, either in a couple of hours or up to six to nine hours for the east coast of the United States. And as the wave gets close to the shore, as the uh, bottom depth kind of shallows out on the continental shelf, the wave will rise out of the ocean to, I've seen estimates anywhere from 100 feet up to maybe 1,000 feet. It's It's a rather imprecise calculation depending on a number of factors. And the wave will not be at the same height all over. So it will just sweep inland for many, many miles. Some estimates say it could go inland for as far as 100 miles. Um, if you're living along the coast and about 100 million people are in this danger zone, if this catastrophic event were to occur, and I want to underscore that it's a very low probability based on the data we're accumulating on the Palma even now of occurring, but if it did occur, you would have about nine hours to, uh, on the east coast of the United States to leave, to get in your car obviously you need to have packed a go bag you throw that in the car you take the kids you take grandma and you get out of dodge um a wiser course of action would be to if you can to kind of uh, leave now for the next uh, several weeks as you're watching on social media this volcano now the reason that i'm so focused on this potential really extraordinary event is in item number two. If you look at item number two, there is a um, um, satellite image uh, taken by one of the uh, NASA NOAA environmental satellites, and it's a picture of the clouds over La Palma during the eruptions. And if you click on the bottom link, which is a Twitter, li- Twitter link, it actually shows you a video both from orbit and from the ground showing the plume of material coming up from the volcano, hitting what looks like from the ground shot kind of like a glass ceiling, which is actually an inversion of warm air that came up a few days ago from the Sahara Desert. Remember, the um, uh, island of La Palma is located a few hundred miles to the northwest of the coast of Africa, so the uh, winds coming off the desert coming off the Sahara, intermingle over La Palma all the time. Well, this created, in the last few days, an inversion, a temperature inversion, where instead of going down as you climb in altitude, the temperature keeps going down, and then it toe, and then it begins to go up for a while, which is called an inversion, meaning the temperature scale is inverted. Instead of uh, falling, it's uh, rising uh, for a time, and this created a kind of a glass ceiling, which um, uh, allowed this plume from the volcano to kind of spread out horizontally. So far, so good. But if you look at that image, if you click on that image in item number two, which gives you a larger version, you'll notice that this, this kind of shield of clouds over La Palma is not uniform and it's not corrugated and speckled and kind of cirrus clouds which you can see around both in the ocean as well as uh over to the upper right hand corner uh, toward africa but it appears to have periodic waves there's light areas and dark areas it almost looks like you'd thrown a gigantic stone into an even larger pond and we're seeing the rings the ripples in the water as the waves move outward from the volcano that is in fact the condensation of water vapor in the atmosphere under this ceiling of temperature inverted air coming off the Sahara and those clouds those ring clouds are condensed water vapor they're just ordinary clouds except they're in a ring like geometry this is where things get really intriguing because the rings are caused by periodic pulsations in the emission of that vertical column of ash and gas and dust from the volcano. In fact, if you click on the Twitter link, that will take you to the actual video, and you can see in that first uh, video uh, at the top of the page, the, the ground view, and you can see, these clouds spreading outward as a series of expanding rings, indicating that the volcano, for some extraordinary reason, is pulsating. In other words, the energy is not coming out continuously, like you were boiling you know, a kettle on the stove, but it's coming out in waves, very low-frequency waves, all of which supports my hyperdimensional torsion field model for how the energy is being pumped into this volcano, either because the natural background physics, the HD physics of the entire solar system is changing, and literally changing in this extraordinary wave-like pulsing pattern from the volcano uh, column, or, and this is a very far out idea, That pulsing is being caused by energy being deliberately inputted into the volcano by an invisible torsion field technology, which is pumping energy into La Palma to act as some kind of, well, threat, ransom, a brinksmanship move, a... um, cliffhanger whatever you want to call it in other words is someone with torsion field physics deliberately manipulating the La Palma volcano threatening the lives of a hundred million souls around the North Atlantic basin again these are all very low probability events but given the visual evidence of this extraordinary low-frequency pulsation, which I have never seen in any other volcano, and I've looked at a lot of them, certainly now when we have satellites, anywhere in the world. So La Palma remains a very special case, and again, put the alarms for La Palma on your smartphone, so if something major happens, you will get an alert. There are seismic monitors, there's live TV, there's 24-7 coverage from La Palma. If this thing goes, you will get warning. But you have to be paying attention for the warning to mean something. And as I told Cynthia, I wanted to do this again tonight because we live in such a noisy environment that uh, signals often get lost in the noise. And if you are along the coast, along the North Atlantic Basin, you do not want to miss this signal if in fact la palma lets go okay um that's the fun part of the evening things only get weirder from here on no i'm just kind of kidding my primary guest tonight is scott fitzgerald de tambla who is a clinical hypnotherapist in southern california he specializes in past life regression and life between lives spiritual regression and for the past 20 years He has dedicated himself to guiding thousands of clients to a deeper understanding of their eternal souls and their current life mission here on planet Earth. Scott can be considered to be one of the premier life-between-lives therapists in, in fact, the world. He is a contributing author to the Newton Institute books, Memories of the Afterlife and Wisdom of Souls, several of his LBL sessions, are featured in Flipside and Hacking the Afterlife, Richard Martini's entertaining films and books about uh, LBL work and our eternal spiritual nature. Scott's session work is also highlighted in Mr. Martini's books It's a Wonderful Afterlife, Volumes 1 and 2, and Michael Kramer's upcoming book Soul to God. In addition to his ongoing private session work, Scott presents training in past life regression, and spiritual hypnotherapy, offers public lectures on past lives and life between lives, and guides group past life regressions. So without further ado, Scott, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight.
1: Thank you, Richard. It's a real pleasure to be here. That's a pretty impressive bio. Who wrote that?
0: <laughs> I don't know. It's unsigned. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Jonathan Womack with us. Jonathan, if you may remember, Uh, holds uh, many hats uh, wears them rather well but he is the executive producer at Mindworld Entertainment and has launched a new TV series called the Out of Body Experience Show Metaphysics and More which is on Amazon Prime and a whole bunch of other outlets and John welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight it's been so long since we talked I think it's like 24 hours and change (laughs) <laughs> and it seems
2: just like yesterday.
0: Just like yesterday. <laughs> so where else can you find the OBE show?
2: Oh, you can find it on Apple TV, Google Play. It's on Amazon uh, Fire, um, Android and iOS and uh, Chromecast and as others. Roku TV. Oh, wow. Paraflix. Yeah, Paraflix is uh, – that's kind of my main – uh, partner there they handle most of the distribution
3: super and
2: yes and I your audience may not realize I've had Georgia and Scott on on my show for a ah one hour episodes yes yeah they were really very entertaining and educational and informative and so if you have a chance to watch those I highly recommend them okay
0: uh Scott, I want to ask you the obvious obvious question given that I'm a hard scientist type guy. Um how did you get into all this? What was your what was your educational background? Let's let's, let's start there.
1: Well, I went to kindergarten in uh Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> well, that starts really early, okay. I, actually I might have went to preschool. I remember something about that um yeah this is a so you're for, uh, so
0: you're a southern california kid
1: yes sir I ah
0: beach boys etc okay born and
1: bred beach boys and zeppelin you know that. <laughs> <Led Zeppelin. laughs> okay uh, so yeah this is a field where there isn't really a lot of formal education offered um hypnotherapy it's kind of a you know quasi you know career Is not really looked at very kindly by psychology and such. Um, But uh, yeah,
0: there are ways to. Well, let's not get ahead of our story. Go back to school when when you got into. (laughs) Did you did you go to college?
1: I did, but I didn't.
0: I I didn't finish any college. I don't have any degrees. Well, what were you intending to do before you got um, interestingly distracted? You know,
1: I was 16. I graduated early. I just skipped a grade when I was a kid. I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Okay. I would skip uh, school and I would go to the beach and fool around and stuff like that. I was so young. I, I didn't really know, but I was interested in, I don't know how to describe it, uh, metaphysics, magical stuff, mind power, history, different things like that. And so I started taking psychology classes along with music classes in school, but the psychology classes left me a little cold. They were sort of well, there was no heart in them. There was no soul. It was kind of mechanical, you know, like like the body's just a
0: a machine. Ah, the very word I was thinking of.
1: <laughs> yes, hmm. like it's just a robot. Well, you know, I just felt there was more to it than that, so I kind of faded out and did a lot of different things. But then eventually, i you know, I went back to I was really fascinated with the idea of past lives because I had been drawn to other times and other places, like I say, I really love history. And so uh, there were some books that I had read when I was younger, like a teenager. And uh, that was a fellow named Dick Sutton who wrote this really uh, uh, seminal book called uh, You Are Born Again to Be Together, mm. which meant uh, people would reincarnate over and over as couples, as romantic couples um, in lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. And so that was a really beautiful book. And being a young romantic God, just,
0: <laughs> living in Southern California, playing yeah. a, a kind of a Beach Boy kid. Okay.
1: Yeah, it just caught my imagination. And you uh, were what?
0: In your in your late teens?
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, now, now now did this the his name was Sutton, right?
1: Sutton. S u
0: t t e n. Okay. Yeah,
1: he just passed away about a year or two ago. Okay,
0: in this book that obviously had a lot of uh, you know impact on you, did he list experiences? Did he list examples of couples connected through time?
1: Absolutely, he did. He does, and he gives kind of case studies, maybe a dozen or more case studies of like a certain couple, like uh, you know Mary and Jim or whatever. And then he'll, he'll take you through their uh, hypnosis sessions when uh, they're living a life in ancient Egypt or Greece or you know, Mesopotamia or anywhere, um, Elizabethan England. And then there are certain issues maybe they're working out. Maybe there was jealousy or possessiveness or maybe there was a, a betrayal of some kind that's affecting their life now it's affecting their relationship now so they might come to him and say we have this uh this hitch
0: or this problem and he would say all right let's go back to the root of that problem and so that- let's not skip over this. this is very intriguing so did he do like any good police investigation did he hypnotize them separately and compare notes did they each separately remember they were kind of supposed to be together and we're playing this kind of tag team thing down through millennia? You know, to my memory,
1: I can't say whether he did or not. I'd have to look at the books again. So I can't can't really say for the record if he did that or not. My feeling is he did and they would corroborate. But uh, yeah, I'm not really sure. Mm.
0: That's a good question. Well, it seems to me it's kind of the hinge point because – if only one partner thinks that the other partner is someone they've been attracted to and with, you know, through countless lifetimes, it's kind of like, okay, that's a nice story. But if you have two people, you know, separately regressed and they both come up with the same, you know, set of correspondences, that's pretty, pretty compelling. Absolutely. It's a good point you make. And perhaps more research
1: should be done along those Absolutely,
0: lines. Absolutely. Cause, uh, you know, I just lost someone recently, uh, Robin, and, and I have this weird feeling of, of communication, but it's nothing, it's nothing I can you know scientifically put my finger on. I can't replicate it, I can't show it to anybody. It's just a story or stories. Um, but I do have this feeling I mean, I knew when I was nine years old I was going to be with her when I was nine. And then as I look back, you know, through the last couple of years, there were other incidents along in my life before I met her much later that indicated that we were going to eventually meet in this lifetime. So I'm obviously, for very personal reasons, really interested in proving, not in just thinking about or kind of toying with the idea, but in proving what's going on and You know, obviously, I've got to get a hold of uh, uh, Mr. Setson's books and kind of take a look, I guess. I think you might enjoy it. Yeah. You know, let me say,
1: Richard, I'm very sorry for your loss. Even with what we know about the eternal nature of our existence,
0: it's still a human loss. And so my heart goes out to you and your family. Well, it's been two and a half, well, I'm more than two and a half years now. Two two years and maybe eight or nine months and it's like it was yesterday. It's um it you know um President Biden, you know, who lost of course two people crucially close to him, his first wife and then his son. He says it gets better over time and uh uh-uh, uh not in two and a half years. No way. Anyway, I don't want to get model in here, but um so you, his his work, Sutton's work's kind of jangle something had you ever had a personal experience or set of experiences that were not you know kind of normal 3d beach bum type guy in southern california <laughs> yes i did and oh I like whoa to, by all means like, tell us tell us I'll i like, tell, to tell, you, I like to tell you about that
1: but before i do let me go back to you and your story and i don't want to get too personal if you don't want to go there but you knowing at nine years old that you were going to be with this woman or marry her, and all these other sort of road signs and road maps and little you know red flags and stuff, you know, I would trust that, because when I do regress people, they tell stories like this, like they knew. It was a plan. And so and I, again, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but we can go back in a re- regression. And look at the plan we can go back to the time before you were born when you were with her in spirit and looking uh, look back at that time of planning and say well what were we trying to do there what were what were we wanting to work out we wanted to spend a long uh, life together we wanted to work on this and that maybe have children or whatever happened with you And then also, Richard, I just want to say to you personally, and again, I don't want to uh, hurt your feelings or be too personal, but in these sessions, we can also visit with these um, crossed over loved ones. So I just want to put
0: that out there. See, that's the part that I really find difficult to believe because to me, there have been efforts and the signal to noise ratio is like 0.00001. It's... Either we're moving backward in time, and so there's a complete frequency mismatch, or it only works on certain days because of the synchronization of the physics, or it's it's a couple of dimensions away. Um, These are areas that I have huge questions about, but very few answers. In fact, I don't have any answers. I just have lots and lots of questions. Um, So let's move back to you, (laughs) okay? Tell us about the the, the the first experience that really kind of rang your chimes. We got about three minutes to the bottom of the hour, so we can certainly pick it up on the other side. Sure thing. But before I do, I just want to add that I do
1: this week after week with people because a lot of people do approach me because they've lost loved ones. So we do visit with them. So um, we'll let that go for now. Yeah, when I was around 19, around the same time I read that book. I had a, a girlfriend. It was a very, very intense relationship. It was like, you know, uh, Cupid's arrow? Uh, well, this was like a spear through my chest. Like, boom, wow, the first time I saw this girl. So we were together for a while um, in school and a little after. So she was going on vacation with her family. Um, she was going out of state. And I was at her house, and we were, I was kissing her. Good night. goodbye like for you know five days or whatever so our lips touched and I had this really strange experience that I have not had before or after I sort of blacked out and I had a vision and it was of these two sort of lights uh in against a dark field and they were sort of rotating around each other um almost like a most like a DNA, like a double helix thing, we were sort of rotating around each other. And I just knew, somehow I knew that was us or that was our souls or something like that. I didn't know what exactly, but it, it was pretty amazing. And then, um, so I opened my eyes. I don't know if we were kissing for like one second or 30 seconds. <laughs> and uh, I was like, whoa, I just had a really strange uh, thing and
0: she. She
1: uh, had this look of almost fear on her face. Taylor, hold
0: it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Scott de la Tambra, and we're talking about his first paranormal, metanormal, hyperdimensional experience that obviously moved him in a whole different direction in life. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We will continue with Scott's story when we return.
4: with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Globalone's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which, you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. Because at that point, you're not dealing with a currency, you're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the the Western powers that are English speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on, I do think it's the case there they're using a health crisis really to drive a a political agenda and the health crisis itself is largely blown way way out of proportion to what's actually the case if you look at what Mr. Globalone is up to they are recreating slavery and the the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you it's not going to go away overnight but there are already uh, i think some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice This is Joseph P. Farrell, and for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news.
0: Welcome back everyone On this Sunday night, October 10th, 2021 From the land of enchantment We're talking with Scott de la Tambra And we're we're talking about An event in his life That changed his life Into a deep interest in Soul progression Soul evolution Reincarnation Do we come back? Do we come back just here Mm -hmm. And so we're going to continue. Uh, Scott, you have the floor.
4: Thank you, Richard. Let me help
1: you with my last name. Um, I know it's very uh, strange. It's a French name. It's de Tamble, or you can just say de Tamble.
0: (laughs) De Tamble, okay.
1: De Tamble. So, yeah, it's like temple, something to do with a temple.
0: Ah, well, that's appropriate. Gosh. Oh, well, I don't know. (laughs) I have to think about it. So, yes. Uh, So you're in the middle of this long kiss that lasts for 2,000 years, and even though it takes in this time frame, you know, a couple of seconds, and you look at her, and she looks at you, and there's this like, whoa.
3: Yes.
1: We're having this kiss uh, with
0: my girlfriend, and um,
1: so I had this vision of these two lights kind of uh, swirling around each other. And so I opened my eyes, and and she – I say I just had a weird experience, and um, so did she, and she was Catholic. And so this is like really weird for her, but she says, I saw us dancing in a fancy ballroom like it wasn't your face, but I knew it was you. So it was probably a glimpse of some kind of past life. Uh, I'm guessing so it was a really interesting experience and so wow you know that led me to pick up a lot of books about this type of thing had you been reading a substance then I don't think so I don't think I had I think it was pretty spontaneous hmm but I had of course I did read a lot as a young uh, you know teenager and and even as a kid I read a lot of metaphysics. I was aware of there was such a thing as past lives, but uh, I hadn't read the thing about lovers. No.
0: Hmm. And yet, that's one of the most important foci of our lives. Absolutely,
1: it cer- it certainly is. And so, yeah. So. That was a pretty amazing experience. Like I said, I've never had it before or since. And you know, it was interesting. uh, If you want to hear a a little bit more, no, no, no. By
0: all means, go. go, Story beyond after the story. That's why we have three hours to do this stuff. (laughs) That's
1: good. Um, So that relationship lasted another maybe two or three years. It was a little on and off stuff. Uh, Her parents didn't like you very much for whatever reason. I wasn't sure why. But so flash forward, maybe, let's see, 18 or 20 years. So I'm with the guy who wrote the book that I read when I was a kid and I'm taking past life regression classes. And so he does a group regression and he says, we can use this for whatever we want. So I think about that girl and I think, you know, what happened with that
0: relationship? What was that all about? I was gonna say if it was so electric, how could you have drifted apart?
4: Yeah.
1: Well, we didn't drift, she dumped me, so she she uh she let me go and moved on. And she was married within maybe a year, year wow. and a half, something like that. And that's part of it. I think she was a lot more mature than I was at twenty two. And um, she wanted to get on with it. I was just, uh, you know, still drifting, you could say.
0: So we're doing this regression. I'm like, you know, I don't now, when know. you say a group regression, are you in a classroom setting? Yes. Mm-hmm. And there's how many other students? Mm, maybe thirty. So are we are we dealing with the guy who wrote the book, suspen Yes, okay.-huh. So so he's, doing so, so, he, thing. so he's a teacher, he's in front of the class. When you say group regression, how, give us the mechanics. He doesn't regress everybody simultaneously, or does he? Yes, he
1: does. Oh, and really? I, I, I do that too. Yeah, you can go in a group uh, with a group of people, and you just um, – it's different than a one-on-one session. I would think. Because with a one-on-one session, you can go back and forth. And yeah,
0: ask yeah. And
1: so this is a group
0: where you so have – So what's do- the reason for doing a group if you can't really drill down deep? Well, you can you can drill
1: deep but not as deep as you can one-on-one like I've done group sessions where people got incredible information but you have to just ask the questions like is it daytime or nighttime sort of leave it open-ended for them to respond in their own mind
0: uh, where look, are when you-, you say respond how do they do they write it down
1: no they just kind of remember it it, it sort of starts to form a story Richard It's it's really interesting it starts to take on like a story arc and so it takes on the story and then i'm guiding the story
0: uh you know where were you as a child uh, did you have a mother did you have a father so what you're you asking talking? or or in this, this case satpan was asking template questions all the people in the room are responding individually and silently they, say again silently silently ah see that's the key part yeah. And no, not, when do you when, do you debrief them afterwards one by one, or do they just um, tell their stories if they don't feel embarrassed? Or because I imagine yeah. there are things that are kind of personal and private and all that.
1: Yeah, you're you're on the right track exactly. So when I do these groups, um, what I would do is uh, I can't debrief everyone; I wouldn't have time to do like 30 or 80 people or however many are there. Mm-hmm. But um, so I'll just ask uh, anyone who's feeling brave to come up and share about story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> the story. Well, yeah, the brave selection factor. Okay. Brave. Anyone who wants to share what they just experienced, and then I'll ask them some questions and and actually dig a little deep. And kind deep, of like deep, the ultimate show and tell. The, <laughs> yeah, show and tell. Show and tell with other lives.
0: Bearing your soul in front of a bunch of strangers. Oh, my yes. I can't think of a more <clears throat> uninviting idea, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> well, I'm lucky that some of us uh, like the spotlight. So some people will come up and talk about it. So, But when I was doing it, when uh, uh, Dick Sutphin was doing it, so I thought I'm going to use this to ask about uh, that girl. And, like, why did we oh. even get – Why didn't we even – So
0: 20 – this is how many years later?
1: 20 years later maybe. So you're
0: still thinking of her and the kiss and the vision 20 years later. Uh, Hmm.
1: Well, I mean not day and night. I mean I have uh, have another life. I have a whole other life that went on. And more girlfriends I
0: presume. uh,
1: Yes. But it was something in the back of my mind because it was really intense. So my question was, uh, you know, why did we even get together in the first place if it wasn't going to
0: last? Good question. Wow.
1: So the story came up that we were in – this is what came into my mind. We're in Europe, uh, maybe in the late Middle Ages or early Renaissance time. Uh, I am a man. She's uh, a woman, a young girl or young. I'm like maybe 19. She's like 16. I'm from a noble family. And she's from uh, a noble family too, but not quite the strata that I'm from. So I have a little more uh, prestige with my family. But we fell in love. We loved each other and everything. And this is embarrassing to tell, but in that lifetime, I had a chance to marry someone who was even a higher, uh, almost like royalty. And so I, I dumped her. I dumped this girl that I loved because I was ambitious in that life, Richard. And again, I'm not proud to say this. I was ambitious, and I wanted to, to raise my stakes, you know. So I, I dumped her, and I married this, you know, wealthy, you know, royal, uh, practically woman, and she was devastated, and her father was really, really mad, and it turns out it, it was the same father then as it was now, and this is why, because now in this life, in the the late 1970s, when I walked up to her house for the first time. He was there, and he just looked at me with a look of hate. Oh, no I
0: wonder. this guy. Okay, let me, let me stop, because you lost me at uh, one part. How did, so, you, how did you decode all this? You're sitting in a class. Uh, you know, Sutton is asking kind of rote questions. How did you get this individual story, your story? Well, the,
1: yeah, the questions are designed to uh, kind of stimulate maybe sort of a story arc. But it just unfolded, it just unfolded, Richard, like in my mind, and I began to see clear. Maybe I even, after a while, I even uh, kind of um, masked out what uh, my teacher was saying because the story just, it like opened a, a jack-in-the-box or like a Pandora's box. It was like, oh, wow. I started to understand everything. And then I started putting these puzzle pieces together between then and now. Like, why did her father hate me on first, on <laughs> first sight,
0: and uh that so you point. clearly saw that she and her father were a relationship, and you and her were a relationship from the middle ages to now, right yeah. yes was mm, that clearly. the was that the last time you guys were i don't think I'm even phrasing this right incarnated together? or had you had separate incarnations and then you got back together in the 20th century. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderful question. I don't know. I haven't explored it.
1: Oh. I would tend to think there were there may have been more because there's maybe, you know, 5 or 600 years
0: in between. Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of a long time between kisses. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> a long time to wait, right?
0: Yeah, so I don't really know talk about I know. talk about delayed, you know, gratification. <laughs>
1: yeah. Wow <laughs> Yes, that's a huge delay, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, but you know, I always had a feeling about her when she looked at me. uh, she was this beautiful, blonde uh girl
0: in which life
1: this life, okay, <laughs> with fair skin and golden hair, but she had these dark, dark brown, almost black eyes i just once she looked at me i always thought of egypt for some reason mm. but yeah i haven't really explored other lives with her I've, why I've not had... what are you waiting well, I for have, i have other relationships richard <laughs> i have other women in my life you yeah, well, this was the
0: first one that was the first uh real intense one yeah all, all right um here's a dumb another dumb question <laughs> did you no, just awesome. did, did you just randomly get together the swirl of the vortices of time, or did you each seek out each other?
1: Uh, this too, I haven't explored, oh. which I have to just say I, I don't know. I don't know, but I think we've probably been uh, together many, many, many times because when I first saw her, it was like boom. You know, I mean, wow, it hit me. Did you Hot. ever watch Star Trek? Absolutely. Okay, I love first, it.
0: remember A City on the Edge of Forever? Oh, yes. Remember The Guardian of Junk, Forever? John Collins, right? Yes, yes. yes okay, right. remember Spock's theory is that there are these currents in space-time that bring events and people together?
1: Vaguely. Is, yeah. is
0: that, well, that was really, it was Harlan Ellison's story, and Harlan was a really genius guy. So, um, Are there currents that bring us together again and again and again? Or have we known so many people in so many lives that it's kind of like Times Square. It's hard not to bump into somebody you've kind of been around before. That's a great question. I love
1: the way you think. Uh, Yes, yes, and yes. Uh, I would say – you know, as souls, I don't know how old we are or if we're almost eternal or if we started with the Big Bang or before that. I don't really know. But many of us, uh, most of us, if not all of us, have been around a long time, a very long time. And it's a very big universe. And so. with so many. Uh, Opportunities to incarnate so many lifetimes. Yes over time over centuries over millennia You'll meet a lot of people and become close to quite a lot of people. So
0: Hmm.
1: after a while. Yes, it would feel like
0: See going going back to my personal experience Um, you know i'm reasonably up there and i've known a lot of women there was only one robin And I knew we were supposed to be together through all kinds of thick and thin and ups and downs and travails, and all the usual nonsense. She was it. And I've never felt that way about any other woman I have ever known. I mean, they've been nice, they've been interesting, they've been, you know, I've I've loved them, but not like my relationship with Robin. So my question is, are these special pairings really rare? Or are they just rare because we remember them more than the other ones, or whatever I mean by that?
1: I would say no, they're not rare. Uh, most of us
0: have. Then what we'll makes them call. special? Well, most of us have. Why should we, we pay attention at all then?
1: Most of us have what we would call a
0: primary
1: soulmate. We have many soulmates. There are many souls that we travel with. Like I say, over the millennia that we're close to. We have soul groups just like families on earth. But many of us have a primary soulmate, the one that we're close closer to than any other soul in the whole of existence. And so I would tend to guess that you and Robin fit into that category. And so yes, for you too, you are very special to each other. You're the most special soul again, in, 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 in existence. And so back to your, and this ties in with your what you're talking about, the currents of time. Mm. Is it the currents of time that bring us together? Or is it us? Is it our decision? Because again, in these pre-life planning sessions, we usually plan our lives. And so I would venture to say, That you and Robin had planned to be together in this life Robin and Richard you made a plan before you even incarnated and there were maybe signs or red flags or like like when you were nine years old you knew I mean nine years old I mean come on that's pretty young and that's pretty special
0: so well what's so weird I mean Robin's death was so tragic and at nine um, I knew it was going to end tragically. It wasn't a, it wasn't an anticipation. It was you know, a nine year old kid uh, bawling his eyes out and not understanding at all why, only in retrospect of all these decades, looking back at all these dots on a chain, you know, there's unequivocal to me anyway, evidence that, yeah, you know, she was the one. But it wasn't a happy anticipation. It was, it was like a, a future that was immutable, could not be changed, was so tragic, and yet not a damn thing could be done to alter it. And that seems pretty pretty negative. She was the one, and you're going to lose her.
1: Yeah, that's pretty
0: rough. At nine? I
1: mean- yeah, nine years old. Uh, not really, even knowing what no, true love is. No, perhaps. of
0: course not. No. And what so was so the interesting lesson. is that the, the, the trigger was someone who is known world. In fact, she was she was the most famous woman in the world, and she obviously now, in retrospect, she was a stand-in for Robin, and her name was Lucille Ball. And she did with Desi a movie back in 1954 called The Very, Very Long Trailer. And it was supposed to be a comedy. And it was fun. And after the movie was over, we we watched a lot of movies and drive-ins in those days because it was, you know, when you have a bunch of kids, taking them all into a theater or something the parents did not do. Drive-ins were really great because you could contain the ruckus in one car. So, uh, you know, they couldn't understand why I'm sitting there in the back seat bawling my eyes out after a wonderful comedy with Lucy and Desi. And it's only been in the last two and a half years that I've kind of put the pieces together and realized that she was a stand-in. I mean, I even used to joke about, you know, Robin being like Lucy without making this association. So. That's incredible.
1: It's incredible, uh, you know, you could be able to drive in and watching this movie and it's
0: stimulating. it's triggering uh, Well, it's, deep... like, it's like to me that the future was fixed and regardless of what I did or she did We were destined like some Shakespearean tragedy to live out this tragedy And nothing we could do would avert it, which is a really dismal projection of the future uh, Yeah, especially for a nine-year-old I mean, if you
1: want to talk about uh, destiny versus free will and that yep, kind yep. of thing, I'm Thumbs happy up. to talk about that. You know, people ask, is it, is it all planned? Is it all written? Or do we have free will? And I would say, yes, both. There is a plan. That's very Heisenbergian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, there is a plan. There is a
0: framework. Yeah, but you but say these, that. Like, how do you know? Give me your evidence. Give me your proof. Because oh, to me, my... it looks incredibly random. Where not, There weren't enough clues to even know what to try to avoid. So it wasn't like, you know, in, in the time tunnel or any of the time travel thingies where you see the future and you do things, you know, to, to avert it. Remember like in Terminator uh, 2, I think it was, when she wakes up after the dream and she's scratched in the picnic table with the knife, the Bowie knife, there is no fate. To me it's looking like fate with a capital F and I don't like it.
2: I understand and
1: I'm with you. I don't want to be uh, some puppet of some, you know, plan or some god or whatever. I just, you know, dancing to their tune. I don't want that. And I but I know that I'm not. There are plans and my evidence for that is not scientific. It's anecdotal in these thousands of sessions I've done and other people like me have done and my teacher in this life between lives thing Michael Newton had done several thousands of sessions and uncovers similar things um, that there we do plan and yet we have the free will to turn left instead of right so I would say in your situation Perhaps you were aware of uh, maybe some uh, tragic ending. Perhaps it was just the emotion of being reunited even uh, in thought or feeling with that soul, that woman that you have so much history with. But was it, you know, fated that she would pass away before you in some tragic way? I would say no. I would say Time is malleable, uh, but that's that's my opinion. I, I can't back it up with any science. But the sessions that I do, I would say there are plans and things. But again, we have free will. It didn't have to be that way, perhaps. Uh, but then again, what is time, Richard? I mean, maybe at nine years old, you were already aware of when you're, however old you are now, or two years ago. Maybe you're already aware of uh, you being an older man and losing her. You know, I don't know. I don't know what uh, triggered you exactly.
0: Well, at that time, it was just, you know, this wonderful comedy. And it's like I remember feeling that Lucy was going to be the one that was dying. Mm. You know, obviously because she was there on the screen and I was nine and et cetera. So it's only now looking in hindsight that I can see that was a stand-in. Because one of the, I'll, I'll give you one data point, and I'm doing much too much into my own life here. How do we get on this this track? Um, <laughs> we've got about three minutes till the top of the hour. Um, one of the things Robin loved to do was uh, collect rocks, geology, and you know one of the key plot points in the very long, long trailer. They're going up Pike's Peak, and you know Desi's driving, and he wants her to. Eliminate all excess baggage, you know, lighten the load. And instead, she's collected rocks at every stop. So as they're climbing up this steep road over a canyon, all the rocks come out of their hiding places and practically tip them over the cliff and kill them. And it was such an emblematic scene. And it was – I remember mm-hmm. literally helping Robin lift a huge chunk of basalt into the back of the car Coming back from Flagstaff one evening because she had to have it, and the damn thing is sitting out in front of the garage right now. So wow, so there's a lot of uh, oh, I could, that, I could go on for would, hours, and yeah, and, and, would, and we will not go on for hours because I want to get back to your debriefing, your hypnotic group session, and find out uh, what you learned because these personal ex- explorations we can we can easily save for another time.
1: Well, I think it's fascinating and
0: I think uh... I'll tell you what, hold it there. We're at the top of the hour. My guest this morning is Scott De La Tamba, and we are talking about reincarnation. Do we weave in and out of each other's lives? Do we, do we insinuate ourselves? Are we brought together and moved apart by invisible currents? by some conscious entities or by a physics that really is only mindful of affinities and it's the affinities for good or ill that bring us together again and again and again we may not have uh, answers tonight but we got a lot of questions you're on the other side of midnight My name is Richard C. Hoagland, we shall return. And welcome back, everyone, on the other side of midnight for this Sunday night, October 10th, 2021. My guest this morning is Scott de la Tambra, and we're talking – oh, Jonathan Womack is in the background. He's he's going to ask a couple of very pissy questions in a few minutes when I give him the uh, appropriate high sign. But, Scott, let's, let's return to your group session. So what did you learn about the kind of the feel itself of reincarnation? Were you – Focused on your own experience, or did you kind of think of this more broadly as a really interesting way to kind of figure out some things that Human race has pondered for a very long time Scott are you there?
1: Uh, Yes, I'm sorry. Could you? uh, It it garbled a bit. Could you repeat that question?
0: Yeah, uh, when you were Kind of uh, hypnotized, hypnotized for this regression, and we need and to we need up, up, up. You up, need up, you need to cut, cut out the speaker out, there. there. We're getting, a weird, getting a weird echo. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, that's terrible. No, we don't want oh, do to do that. Scott, can you get rid of the echo?
2: Uh,
1: I'm not hearing anything. I'm hearing you just normally now. Oh no no, we oh, had yeah, an echo
0: there. echo there, and I'm still and hearing you.
1: Uh, I didn't change any settings, so
0: I'm Mm. sorry. Keith, can you check settings? Because we're getting a double echo. Now it's gone away. Okay. It's one of those nights. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, uh, again, to recapitulate the question, um, what did you learn from uh, uh, this kind of group hypnosis? Well...
1: What I learned was that what had happened perhaps in the past between me and that girl and her family, and it was really me who had hurt her rather than in this life, I I felt hurt and all that. So what I found was there was a reason for that. Um, And then it just gave me a feeling of acceptance. Uh, I can't really put my finger on it, but I just realized, uh, well, okay, you know, maybe it was my fault and maybe I just need to accept that relationship's over and, uh, you know, for this life at least and let her go and live a happy life and all of that. It just gave me a feeling of sort of like it was sort of like the boomerang karma that came back.
0: It was my fault and so – you know for, yeah, after only uh, 700 years shit does but, that sound but, efficient to you i mean see the, the 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 problem i have with karma is you know like the lessons we're supposed to learn don't come to fruition for god knows how long how many lives it it seems incredibly inefficient if it's supposed to be a learning and a corrective process i mean 700 years to figure out that you were a heel back then and then she turned around and did the same thing to you. What's the point?
1: Oh, well, that's a good question, but uh, time itself is a funny thing because I might be going through something in a relationship or in my life right now where it doesn't hark back to a life of uh, 50, you know 80 years ago or 100 years ago. It harks back to a life of 3,000 years ago. Because there was some kind of uh, thread there, uh, you know. As I when I did the show with Jonathan, we talked about this idea, um, this idea that all lives are simultaneous. They're not really linear. We
0: we need to see that because we have these human brains that. So just you're see. talking about different timelines in parallel. and and our consciousness kind of like a LP record skipped from groove to groove?
1: Well, the illustration that one of my teachers gave me was, if you imagine, like on Star Trek, and I talked about this uh, with Jonathan, if you imagine a chessboard, uh, a glass chessboard with one piece, this is you in your life, you're a knight. Then there's another chessboard below it, and that life you're a pawn. And another a queen another a bishop you know hundreds of chess boards so in each uh if you if you lean over the top and look down you can see this whole pageant this whole dance where one little move on each life affects the whole game and so in some you know magical way all of these lives are interconnected and so it's easy to think that a decision I make in my life now will affect my future lives, but it also affects my past lives.
0: You're right. That is very confusing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really confusing. Right. Uh, so uh, no, no. No, no, let, let me stop here, John. You've been very quiet because I haven't let you speak. Do you have any questions at the moment, and then we can, you know, kind of cogitate on on on, on that.
2: Well, the only thing I would throw out is that um, you have to try and look at it from the perspective of the spirit world because when you look at it from the physical world, it it is hard to understand how these things interrelate because we have linear time here and that makes it tough to grasp some of these abstract ideas.
0: Okay. That's a very unsatisfactory answer. Um, I mean, really, if the lessons are only in 3D, and it takes hundreds of years for even one to be imparted, and there's no conscious, you know, unless you regress or unless you use an alternative means of kind of probing through the veil, again, I, the, the the term inefficiency really comes to mind. It's like, who designed this? It's not inefficient, Richard.
2: It, it looked to me... Very inefficient. Uh, Incredibly inefficient. But um, I can tell you there are specific lessons that are intended by Robin's the the tragedy that you speak of, because if you... And none
0: of them are apparent to me right now.
2: None. Zero. Well, she gave you an opportunity to overcome a a great loss. Your soulmate passed away. And what's the point of that it makes you stronger it's that saying what doesn't kill you makes you stronger your soul will evolve from overcoming yeah, but that's a grief. statement john give me evidence to
0: show this really is taking place show me in other lives L- let me let me write to scott scott how many people in 20 years do you think you've regressed
3: mm, three to
0: four thousand okay that's an that's a big sample uh you know, Gallup, uh, when, they, when they poll people, they typically poll around a 1,000. So you're up to the kind of three sigma level when you get to patterns. What are the meta patterns of all those people you've dealt with? And I presume you've recorded them. You've got some transcripts. You kind of look for patterns, look for ways to get better at what you do. What are some of the patterns that kind of fall out of this really substantial body of, of data?
1: Gosh, that's a big question. Um, What John was just talking about is a pattern. There is a pattern of loss because when we incarnate, when we come into a life, um, probably the hardest thing we're going to face is the loss of loved ones, whether it's our grandparents, our parents, our brother, sister, our children, uh, maybe perhaps the worst, or our mate. As I'm very sorry you have suffered So that is one thing That is very very important
0: Is that Let let, let me me stop you there And and, and let me address this to John as well Robin and I met to carry out A mission It had very extraordinary Unique in, in 3D Time dimensions Her being Absent now is like This huge hole in the successful completion of the mission. It's almost like something intervened, some dark force, and deliberately separated us so the mission could not be completed. In other words, it's not just life lessons, it was an intrusion of something trying to stamp out burning ducks, trying to kill something in the crib, trying to keep the mission from succeeding. It has, in other words, a malevolent aspect not just a tragic and oh woe is me kind of aspect there's no malevolence no again John that's a
2: statement <laughs> no. Um, no Richard these these um, I can't prove anything I have no sign but the only scientific evidence I have for anything I talk about was a with going to Salem and having having an aura pick taken and um, I, I asked my guide I said, "I want you to be in the picture, and you know your guide's always over your shoulder, and I wanted to see if it would show up in the picture. I said, I want you in the picture <laughs> and um, sure enough, there it is, and that's about the only scientific proof I have now i've this week is my fifty sixth anniversary of going out of body i've i <laughs> I don't know how many travels and experiences I've had, but I can tell you that these things all have purpose, Richard. I know it's hard when you don't know what it is, but when it's revealed, you well, go, doesn't oh, not Well, wow. that,
0: doesn't that seem kind of dumb?
2: To no. Be, to be no. set on
0: a mission and not know what the damn mission is? That
2: seems very inefficient. It's because how you get through it. That's the point. It's overcoming things. It's, it's growing and evolving.
0: But that's an ad hoc after the fact explanation. It's not predictive. You know, it's like, I can see why having stress tests prepare you for, shall we say future lives in 3d. All right. But what good are they in a, in a higher level of dimensions where all the parameters we take for granted, including linear time are out the window. Uh, can I jump in here? Yeah, absolutely. You're, uh, yes uh, exactly you're supposed to <laughs> thank you.
1: okay thank
2: you
0: um,
1: I would I really agree strongly with Jonathan I wanted I to talk about this mission you talked about this is some something to be completed in this lifetime like some sort of uh, project or something kind of okay I would suggest it's possible whether that mission can still be completed or not. I don't know. It may be that you are to complete this uh, by yourself or with a different partner or with others. But the mission, what's the mission behind the mission? The real mission might not be the project in this life. The real mission might be something like Jonathan was talking about. Um, uh, you did get to spend a lot of life together, a lot of years, which is beautiful. And I'm glad.
0: 20 but I would say years.
1: Her, I'm sorry.
0: 20 years. 20 years. That's a long time. No, it isn't. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an eye blink. <laughs> yeah. I understand.
1: Like I say, time is a funny thing. But, uh, so my point was that. There may be a mission behind the mission. If she's gone, in a sense, we have to say she's completed her mission because if she didn't, she'd still be here. I know that's yeah, hard. See, that so,
0: again is an ad hoc after the fact. You know, John says there's no evil. I strongly disagree. I
2: didn't say that. I, there's evil in the world. Oh, my God. But
0: And beyond uh, the world. At yes. hyperdimensional levels, there is evil and manipulation and control and autocracy and all yes. the
2: horrible right. things. I don't see any or feel any of that. When I reach out to Robin, all I get is that radiant love for you and that everything is proceeding as as planned or laid out. and. You know, you're healing, Richard, and that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, you could have become a, a drinker, and, you know, like you see in the <laughs> movies and some guy loses it and he's, you know, he's a drunk and he...
0: No, I have a mission. So,
2: <laughs> yes, anyway, the
0: point Can is... Can I share it, a story it, with it, you? It, of is my, in, it is in. Yeah, by all means. We've got, let me... Okay, we've got about 15 minutes. Go ahead. Okay.
2: When I was nine, I had a lucid dream. I'm sitting... Uh, at Earl's barber shop in my small hometown in Indiana and there's Earl and there's someone in the chair and Earl's cutting his hair and there's two men I'm sitting you know along the side of the room there and there's two other men sitting there and we're just kind of all shooting the breeze and the door opens and in comes walking this girl who is roughly my age this young girl and you know, everybody's head just turns toward her. And she comes in and sits down, and the men are just uh, really they're charmed, and this you know wonderful person is in, she just lights up the room and um, and I look over to the guy sitting next to me <clears throat> And I, I say. She's my soulmate. How old I'm, are you? I'm smiling. How old? How old are you? I'm nine years You're old. You're not? Okay, nine. Okay. And I say that's my soulmate. Isn't she awesome? <laughs> you know? And, you know, that dream was very powerful. And I remember that. So when I was 16, so I've been going out of body for 10 years at this point. And I thought, you know, my other friend's, in school or like had girlfriends and I hadn't had a girlfriend yet and I said gosh I wonder where my soulmate is on the planet if she's here now or uh, where is she so you know when and I, when and if you're gonna actually physically meet right because you don't always meet your soulmates and uh, this is a good example so I, I go out of body I express a desire to find her, I'm in Indiana, so I take off through the sky east, flying over the country. I get to Boston, where I live now. <laughs> I've lived for the last 37 years. And, you know, at nine years old, I don't know,
4: uh,
2: you know, I, I'm not a geographical whiz. Like, I, I, she could be anywhere, and I'm, I'm just following this trail. And so I get to Boston, and I, I get to the the harbor, and boom, the trail disappears, and I stop, and I'm hovering above Boston Harbor, uh, perplexed, going, what happened? Where did the trail go? Where is she? And I'm looking across the ocean. I'm going, is she in France? Do I, I just got to keep going over the ocean? Is is she on a boat out in the ocean? I, and. I just completely lost the trail of my soulmate. And then I th- turn around, I'm like, maybe she, is she in Boston here? So I, I ask my guide for help. And I come to find out it's too early. I'm not supposed to be with her. I, sometimes you go without your soulmate so that you learn longing. And you long for that person your whole life, and again, it's it makes us stronger. These are all trials and tribulations for us, and they're given to us. Well, out of that's love. your
0: explanation. You know, that's it's, my explanation. Yeah, yeah. See, I know that I was delayed in meeting Robin until we did twenty years ago, because I wasn't ready. It wasn't ready. The the frame, the cultural frame in which we were supposed to do these things together was not ready it had to gel it was like make no wine before it's time the problem is not with the delay the problem was with the premature ending in in something like who ordered this mm-hmm. anyway let's get back to scott so
1: scott i would say well let me just address that if i can <laughs>
3: you can't- i would say
1: nobody ordered her to die but it was just maybe one of many exit points and and it was decided by her ultimately it was time to go she's doing other things you you said earlier uh, forgive me if i'm wrong you said that you had maybe some kind of signs or some kind of communication or
0: something uh, well from- looking back i can see the dust you know i've i've, I've talked on the show a lot about nodal points there are times in your life when you can make a left-hand turn or right-hand turn, a decision really affects your whole life. Like you picking up Sutphen's book and that led to other things and another for that kind of thing. Sure. So, you know, I can look back now from two and a half years or not being here and I can see these luminous points like glowing stars in the dark. Yes, this and then this and then this and right before we met, Before I physically got on an airplane to go and meet her, Um, I lived here in Placidus, and I had an office with a gorgeous view of the mountains, and there was this big kind of sapling at the end of the porch. And literally the day before I was to get on an airplane, uh, it was January. uh, That tree was filled, absolutely brimming. The branches were bending down with robin with migrating Mm -hmm. Robins and they were all talking to each other and there was fluttering and there was joy and there was happiness. And I look back at that. And of course it's an obvious symbolic, you're finally going to meet Robin. Wow. Beautiful. Very symbolic. You know, I would say Richard, uh, and there's more than one of those. That's how I know there's a pattern. You know, I'm, I'm a I'm, I'm a I'm a signal in the noise kind of guy. I look for patterns, and there was an uh, I, obvious pattern. We did not get together by chance. So,
1: I didn't mean to um, stop you. No, Please no, no, tell no us, that's well, fine. I love those stories. Tell us more. What What was another
0: instance <laughs> you had? Uh, we're not going to do this is your life on Richard tonight. No <laughs> way. So Scott, you know, we're eventually going to get to some other planets here. Um, We may have to do this in two parts, okay? That would be fun. So, uh, yeah. Before we do
1: that, can I just say – I know we're talking about love and soulmates and stuff. I just want to add this. Some people never meet
0: their soulmate in this life. Well, isn't that inefficient?
1: No, it's quite perfect because that was the plan. Maybe they've been too dependent. You guys and your plans, okay. (laughs) Our plan. You need to you need to subscribe to our plan, Richard
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: only nine ninety five a month and, that's
1: right you know <laughs> five you won't even feel it all right, so sometimes when we are so close to someone and we spend life after life after life with them, it's beautiful, but we become so dependent upon them, and then if they walk out of the room, we're like a little kid that lost his mother or something. We need to develop our own strength. And so some people, I have clients, Richard, it's sad, but they tell me I've never been in love in my whole life. They might be 55 years old. I've never been in love in my whole life. I've never truly been in love. I've never had a mate uh, that I felt anything uh, beyond, uh, you know, just practical considerations or something like that. But some people live lives Were devoid of true love in the sense of a romantic relationship. Then you you might say, well, why would you have to suffer that? Well, because these lives, Richard, are like a drop in the ocean. They're like a dime a dozen. We have hundreds, if not thousands of lifetimes. We have all of eternity to learn these things. So there's no waste. If you have forever, what's the rush? So... We might have a lifetime without our soulmate, and maybe they're doing a mission of their own, and maybe we're doing a mission of our own with other friends that we have. Mm. It's like you don't want to go out with your wife to steak dinner every freaking night because that would be a little boring. Maybe on Thursday you want to go out with the boys, or maybe on Tuesday you want to go out bowling or something. So (laughs) we mix it up. That's my point. Mm.
0: A lot of theory. A lot of theory here. Okay. Okay. Uh, We got about five minutes to the bottom of the hour. So where were we before I got distracted on on you focusing on my life? Uh, (laughs) um, So you have this group session. When did you decide, oh, therapy, hypnotic regressive therapy, looking at lives after lives after lives is something that's kind of my cup of tea?
1: Well, I was in my 30s. I was in my 30s, and I'd done a lot of different things, nothing too fantastic.
0: And uh, it just started. So you were searching for a mission?
1: Yeah, I was. Well, I mean, I I probably always had it, but I just didn't trust it. Like, we know inside of us what we want to do. Uh, There may be more than one thing. There are more than one thing I still want to accomplish, but we know. I just didn't trust it because – Society or my parents or whoever said that's ridiculous You gotta like earn a living and you know do something real kid mm-hmm. So but but we know we know what we want to do. We know what we're called to do so this is one thing I was called to do and So uh as I dug into it more and more and I started doing sessions um, it was just uh How can I describe it? It was just delicious It was delicious understanding the relationships that souls have and what souls do and what people do and all of this stuff it was just uh, it was just so I couldn't get enough of it so building the patterns yes yes there are patterns there are patterns like you said looking for the pattern in the static or whatever they're always patterns. signal in
0: the noise. Yeah, you know. signal
1: so, signal in the noise. Forgive me. So, um, yeah, and with individuals, there are threads of patterns as well. I'll give you a quick example. I know we have uh, we're going to have another break. So I have this person I've worked with before, and she was having this throat problem. Uh, her throat became sort of blocked and sore, and she just didn't understand what was going on. So we we're gonna regress to the root of that um, problem, the the root issue. What's going on? Where does that come from? So we're gonna go back to another lifetime, probably. But then uh, in these sessions, we also meet with other beings, uh, spirit guides, or and other beings. Not that I meet with them, they speak to my client, they come into the client's mind. And then so my client says, wait a minute, we don't need to go to a past life. My guides here, he says, I can show you like seven past lives. She got stomped in the throat. She got hung by the throat. She got stabbed in the throat. She got slashed in the throat. She got shot in the throat. I'm like, okay, well, what's this all about? She's not speaking her truth. And so I didn't realize when she uh, wanted to work with me, there was a situation at her job where
0: she was passed over for a promotion. I'll tell you what. Hold which, it right there. We will come back to the lack of a voice in multiple dimensions. Our guest tonight is Scott Latambra, and we're talking with Jonathan Womack. In about half an hour, Georgia Lambert will join us, and we will look at this from another set of perspectives. Um, Gosh, I don't know what to say, and sometimes, you know, maybe saying nothing is the uh, better choice. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return to the search for Bridie Murphy in a moment. And welcome back to the Other Side of Midnight on this Sunday night. About to become Monday morning in the Land of Enchantment. My guests this morning, Scott de la Tambra and Jonathan Momack. And Scott, you were in the middle of an extraordinary tale. By the way, you you remember or you you, you recollect the uh, Bridie Murphy
6: reference, right?
0: Absolutely. That's from the 50s, I think. That was my first introduction to this entire field. Uh, It was a Reader's Digest compendium of this uh, American girl who remembered a past life, Friday, you know, Irish life living in Ireland. And someone took the trouble to actually do the 3D investigation and found all kinds of correspondences in her story that were too compelling to be just coincidence. And that began, I wouldn't say an obsession, but an interest along with a number of other interests that have evolved in the decades since. But yeah, it was my mother basically reading that story that uh, awakened me to this possibility again at a very early age. So please continue. Yes, um, I forgot what we were talking about. Well, this woman had all these throat problems over successive lives. You know, she'd been hanged and choked and stabbed and shot, and I mean, come on. It's like, and how many lifetimes did this go on? It's it's like in, in Jonathan's model, there was a lesson there, and she kept not learning it. Again, looks very inefficient to me.
1: Whether she learned it in those other lives, I don't know. She may have come to a point where uh, something happened, and maybe she survived. Maybe she got beyond it, but um, again... I mean, it's hard to say why were those lives ended in that way. Maybe she was done and that was just a way or I don't know. But so in this life, in this here and now, I said, well, what's the common thread? And and the guide said through her voice, she's not speaking her truth. She needs to speak up for herself. There was a, a problem at her job place. However, wait,
0: wait. when you say speaking in her voice, you mean – this entity took over her her language centers and was able to speak through her
1: no no entities do not take over anybody or
0: language centers in my sessions not usually but when you say speaking in her voice what did you mean
1: well there are, there's a whole spectrum of channeling um i think she may have said you know what he's saying is this and then As I talk to her, he just begins to talk or she just parrots his words. So like I said, there are whole spectrums of of channeling, and we could talk about that. But um, I just want to finish the point. She's not speaking her truth. So when she um, she understood this and she went and she – gave some feedback at her at her workplace she she said you know I'm not pleased about this situation um I don't think she got the job but the throat problem went away it just dissipated because she did speak out so that was sort of the lesson of that session hmm.
0: okay Hm. okay um so when you finally got into this and you started accumulating Uh, You know patients or client records or whatever you want to call them and you began to see these patterns I again I asked before What were some of the patterns like you just talked about this this gal who had consistent repeating? Issues with with her her neck or throat. What were some of the other patterns you noticed?
1: Oh gosh Uh... It's just all anything in the human experience, like relationships, like we were just talking about. Probably the biggest reason people come to see me is that they're looking for a sense of direction or purpose, life purpose, basically. Why am I here? What am I supposed to be doing? I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something. I don't know what the heck it is. So those are those are things that we explore a lot, too. But maybe we should get to the reason why you asked me to come on and that is another thing that I get a lot of clients and that is that some people live lives in other worlds, worlds other than earth before they've come here to incarnate and do a regression with me.
0: Okay, I wanted to kind of get from the pattern question into that because among all the regressions you've done how many people come up with this idea that they have lived someplace else other than earth let
1: me uh, i would be happy to answer let me just back up a sec uh, i learned this technique life between lies from a gentleman named michael newton um, he's deceased for a few years but he still has the michael newton institute i was going
0: to say that's the newton of the newton institute you referenced okay uh, yes sir and so He wrote these really uh, impactful books.
1: called One's called Journey of Souls. The other is called Destiny of Souls, where he laid out – he sort of mapped out over maybe 25 or 30 years. He mapped out – he kind of stumbled on this soul stuff and this spirit world stuff. So he mapped out the spirit world and what we do in between our lifetimes. And then he taught this technique to – you know a couple hundred people are in the institute now something like that all over the world so in his book or one of the books he i think he says maybe 10% of his clients would report uh having a lifetime in a world like a physical world other
0: than earth and he was always pretty fascinated by that now oh whoever, hang on hang on hang on i'm going to have a lot of dumb questions here sure Is that 10% voluntarily uh, uh, enunciated? In other words, do they just kind of talk about this without any prompting? Or is this in response to specific questions? Did you ever live on Alpha Centauri? That kind of thing.
1: Um, I believe it was unprompted, but I wasn't there for all of his sessions, so I, I can't really say. I believe it was unprompted. Um, so, you know, and that doesn't mean that the general population, there's a certain percent. it just means the people that happened to come to him, maybe a tenth of them, had lived in other worlds. But I want to tell you, Richard, that fully half or more of my clients have lived on other
0: worlds. Okay, same yeah. question. Is this voluntarily, you know, communicated or did you ask the leading questions? Uh, I'm usually very clean in my
1: hypnotic language, so I'm very careful not to suggest certain things. Although at a certain point in these sessions, I may I may start leading them a bit because uh, we need to get to the roots of their problems. So I would say it's not 100% clean, but um, there's quite a lot of people. I have recordings, and I'm sorry I didn't have time to uh ready that for you well we're
0: going to do part two so by that time you'll have
1: them <laughs> yeah so i have recordings where they're talking about this uh, uh maybe they're just doing a past life regression i'm thinking well we're probably going to go back to elizabethan england or you know some chinese uh peasant or something they're like the sky's purple and the grass is orange and you know like uh, i don't i don't know where i am i'm like wow okay
3: hmm so
1: they'll just come up with this stuff on their own and or, or or whatever it is i'll just be like yeah i'll just nod my head you know yeah another one of those okay and i'm pretty familiar with those and i i love them I, i'm kind of fascinated with them myself
0: so once they open the door I presume you can walk through and ask key questions to kind of tail what they're going through where they are when they are if they know that those those kind of questions
1: absolutely and there's a whole lot of questions we can ask and I do ask a lot of questions about when and where they are and what their body is like and all that kind of thing uh, and we can talk about that. But actually as a therapist, that's not really very important to me. What's important is the issue that they're confronting or you know, and what does that have to do with now? So I always wanna you know, you could have three legs and twelve eyes and live on planet X and you know, but what's what does that have to do with anything? Well, because uh you know, maybe you got betrayed and now in this life you're angry, you're walking around angry, you don't know why. Well, Maybe it was because on planet X uh, Somebody screwed you over So that's really what I'm looking for But uh, In the meantime, heck
0: yeah I want to get into details about these other worlds Because it fascinates me I love science Well before we I get love- into that Let me ask you a really obvious question Do people A subset of people who report living on other planets Do they report living in other body types Other than a hominid biped yes but i would
1: say a smallish number i would say most of them tend to be humanoid anthropomorphic yes all right but there are a few uh like for example there are water worlds where it's just basically covered with water or some liquid And they're basically swimmers. They're like dolphin people or, you know, some kind of uh, creature that swims. And they live underneath, you know, a liquid surface. Hmm. And so they tend to have, uh, you know, uh, nature uh, kind of – nature designs things in certain ways. And so they'll tend to be like a dolphin or like a shark or a fish or something.
0: Well, we now know just from, you know, 3D science that there are probably far more water worlds. Uh, like Europa, uh, that are covered with ice ceilings where there 's an ocean surrounding the core that never sees sunlight that gets energy from down below from tides or from you know volcanic uh, eruptions on the ocean floor, and there are countless numbers far more of those across the galaxy, according to the current estimates than there are earth type worlds where the ocean's exposed to the sky and temperatures are you know benign so you can have no ice cover and all that so uh, that is consistent again with the science that we're learning there are a huge number of possible places for i mean we had this conversation last night john about cetaceans and you know yes. porpoises and whales and mm-hmm. and uh, so okay so when you encounter these people that clearly i mean is, is, is the significator as obvious as oh the sky is green, or is it more subtle? Do you have to kind of kind of wake up to the fact you and the and the client wait a minute you're not talking about Earth.
1: Well, it's different in every case, but often the environment is a tip off because it'll just be a little different, or they'll just say something vague like I don't think this is Earth. Um, I think this is somewhere else or something like Hmm. that.
0: So then I'll start asking questions. You mean, Toto, we're not in uh, (laughs) Kansas anymore?
1: That is correct. We're not in Kansas. (laughs) Not even close. And so, yeah, we'll start asking questions. I'll I'll ask, uh, you know, is it in the Milky Way galaxy? It may or may not be. Mm
2: -hmm. Is it in
1: a galaxy that we're, we're even aware of with our science? Can we see it with our uh telescopes from earth or even from hubble you know we may or may not be it may be so far away in three uh, dimensions in three dimensions
0: Mm. that we're not even aware of it because as you know so do you ever ask a pointed question and we're getting tight on time so i'm going to interrupt like well why did you come here absolutely absolutely and there's a lot of
1: beings who have lived in other worlds um, who are here now, currently, because the Earth is sort of the Las Vegas of the universe right now.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> That's way of putting it,
1: we have uh, an opportunity, and it's viewed from far and wide to ascend in some way, to raise our vibration, to raise our frequency, and it has to do with humans, really. It's humans that are, the world will be the world. It's, you know, a beautiful planet, but humans have a chance to sort of raise to like, you know, level up a level or two. And so these beings from other worlds have flocked here because they've, they're fascinated with it and they want to help because it's all connected. Richard, you know, it's all one. And anytime, any person Anytime any person in this world uh, lifts up or raises in some way, it affects all of us, like the hundredth monkey syndrome, you know. And so it's the same on a galactic scale or, you know, a, a universal scale. Anytime a planet or a people can raise their awareness in a certain way, it's like a celebration for everybody. So that's one of the reasons um, i'll give you another quick one, and that is that uh earth it's a rough neighborhood
0: yes think? As,
1: <laughs> Have you land- looked around lately <laughs> I've noticed as far as planets go as physical worlds to live on it's you know it has its challenges. There are some others that are tougher, but you know not that many. A lot of the people that I see. Are having a hard time here. They might even be, they may even be suicidal, or you know, have drug problems because it's so intense here. It's so violent. It's like you know, it's a world of uh, survival of the fittest, right? So they may come from gentler worlds where everyone is uh, connected, everyone is telepathic, or something like that. It's like some Star Trek uh,
0: type world. Funny you should mention Star Trek because many, many years ago Gene and I were having a conversation like this, uh, Gene Roddenberry, and um, he described life here as an e-ticket. And I looked quizzically at him, uh, having never been to Disneyland at that point, and he said, oh, that's that's the best rides. And I mean, from that, I took it that part of this is viewed from higher dimensions not as life lessons, not as growth, but as just you mentioned it before, las Vegas, it's entertainment, which mm-hmm. really means at several levels it's sadomasochism entertainment <laughs> well, that's yeah. very, very depressing. There's nothing enlightening about that at all
1: well i I would agree with you your uh and jean's uh you know characterization it is an e ticket. And that is why souls incarnate here. Uh, One of the reasons, it is not always about lessons or growth or learning. Sometimes it's just about experience. Because in a physical body, we have senses, we have hormones, we have, you know, instincts. All of these things that we don't have in spirit. It's kind of like, you know, in college you have the lecture and then you have the lab. Well, Mm -hmm. up there we can go to the lecture and learn all of the philosophical meaning of this or that. Let's say forgiveness. Oh yeah. You know, it seems pretty easy to forgive. When you come down here, you're basically in an animal body. Someone stabs you in the back. Do you really have forgiveness? Do your soul shine through? So it's also a testing ground of what we've learned. It's like the lab where we can test out the theories but uh, to agree with you, it is also a place of, you know, thrills, chills, and spills, you know. It's like an amusement park, you know, eating, you know, food, uh, sex, uh, uh, pleasures of
0: the Well, women. looking around the world, there must be an awful lot of sadomasochists and reincarnating. <laughs> I'm, I'm being deadly serious. <laughs> well... You call it sadomasochism.
1: You call it suffering or, you know, violence or whatever. But in a sense, in spirit, they don't quite have such a judgment. It's just an experience. You got your arm cut off. Well, that sucks, but it's an experience. Now you know what it's like to be a, a one-armed guy or to lose a, a limb or have a phantom limb pain or something like that.
0: That kind of reminds me of the old Mark Twain, you know, joke. You know, back in the day – um he was offered this terrible choice of being ridden out of town on a rail after being tarred and feathered and he said well if i had my druthers i'd just as soon pass it up (laughs) it's like you know if you're an experienced junkie it's like kind of like heroin in other words is that part of the deprivation of a soul as opposed to the edification of a soul
1: I understand what you're saying and I understand what Mark Twain, uh, Samuel Clemens is saying there. Uh, You know, uh, why would I want to come down here and live through Auschwitz or some horrible uh, thing like that?
0: Exactly. What,
1: what, am I out of my mind? I can stay up there and play harps with Jesus on the cloud or whatever, whatever is going on up there. Why why ever would I want to come down here? Well, I think part of it's... uh, that we as beings have this need to grow and expand. We get bored. Playing harps with Jesus is awesome, but after like 100 million years, you're like, well, you know, what's on that other cloud over there? So we want to have experiences. We want to feel. We want to taste. We want
0: to understand. Yeah, but that implies in higher dimensions that all, not all time and space and experience are available. To any conscious entity, that there are compartmented existences—I don't want to call them lives because they're, you know, different—but in in other words, one is not all-knowing in a higher dimension, and that seems Uh, very paradoxical.
1: I would agree. I don't think one is all-knowing in a higher. Just because you die doesn't mean you suddenly know everything. You're still at your same level more or less. There are levels and
0: levels and layers But these are and theories. Give me some, something to hang on to. Give me some more patterns, okay? You said, you, you said there are theories
1: or you said to, uh, uh, that it's just a statement, but it's based on thousands, hundreds of thousands of sessions of these hypnotic sessions, what I'm talking
0: about. But 10,000 people can all be dead wrong. Just because they sure. report something doesn't mean they know. It means they're seeing it through their eyes, through their experience, through their limited uh, existence, meaning how do we know it really is real beyond their own personal perspective? Maybe you know? you're not
2: meant to know.
0: <laughs> John, that's very self-defeating. Why are we doing a show like this tonight? Okay? Not meant to know. Oh, how you mean you're taking the devil's side? Huh. These guys are not supposed to know. I'm going to excommunicate them from the garden, etc., etc., etc. Boy, talk about role reversals. Anyway, back back to patterns. So well, let me
1: let me answer that. Let me answer that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You're right. You're absolutely right. We don't have scientific evidence. Why not? Why not? Empirical evidence,
0: but but why not? Why should it be so occluded? And I'll I'll give you a very visible physical example. Uh, Between actually, you know, data points coming from somewhere, wherever Robin is, six days after she died physically, uh, an artifact appeared. A Polaroid photograph that was taken on a ship a decade before of her in a Carillion photography booth which had the name of the company on the back a little sticker the date etc um she was off on the ship exploring you know whatever was going on in the dealer's room because we were on a cruise together and i was giving lectures and she had this carillion photograph taken which had the appropriate swash of color indicating a healer as it's been interpreted to me but it was so occluding that her photograph her presence her her figure her image is almost submerged in this cloud of opacity and ambiguity and mystery and it was so emblematic of the robin that i knew for 20 years which was kind of like the chinese puzzle box a mystery wrapped in an enigma you know centered around a puzzle
1: Yeah, I've seen those photographs, and so they do tend to have uh,
0: kind of a whitewash. Uh- oh, this was to the max, and I saw, and it physically appeared on the floor of the bedroom six days after she died. Now, why is that date important? Why those six days? Because it was the anniversary of the date twenty years before that I almost died, and she saved my life wow. with the heart attack. Nothing <laughs> random there. Nothing. Very specific signal. Way above the noise level, and it reinforced Robin the Healer.
1: I love the story, but let me ask you, Richard. Where's your evidence that it was more of a more than a coincidence?
0: Because there've been more events. She 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 made an egg beater appear out of nowhere. <laughs> Months later, in a drawer that I That's looked funny. in every single day since she had died. And I'd asked her about before she died, where is this, you know, egg beater with the ivory handle? I've told this story on the air before. Um, And she was at that point unable to go and look in any boxes, go and, you know, and there was no way she would have found it and then just put it in the drawer, wouldn't have told me. So it appeared, and it appeared literally as I'm making the decision to simply go out and buy another one because I wanted, you know, one of these old-fashioned. Handle egg beaters to to mix up actually to mix French toast. And I go to the kitchen to do something else. And I just happened to open that drawer for the millionth time. And there is the egg beater, the one that I asked her where it was, the one that was, we'd, we'd had for years sitting there on top with white ivory handles and, and the little ratchet in the midst of a whole bunch of dark black objects. So it stood out like a, like a Roman candle you know, at a fireworks display, and it had not been there the day before, the week before, the month before, the year before, five years before. It appeared out of nowhere, (laughs) and there is a double entendre, because you know how egg beaters work? You rotate the handle, and the two uh, twirly thingies rotate in opposite directions, that's stirring the physics backward. That's why Mercury retrograde is so weird, okay? It's stirring the physics of the solar system backwards. It also has appeared as a symbology in many, many, many crop circles, which are edifications of the physics from somebody somewhere trying to teach humans on Earth, this is how the physics works. But finally, and she did have this weird, wacky, Lucy sense of humor, egg beater, torsion field. Did it mean she was reincarnating as a new egg to grow up in three dimensions? And that was the marking point. You know, skeptics would say, oh, it's just a coincidence.
1: But you know better because you feel her. You feel her presence on those things. No,
0: I have more data
2: for you. I have have much more data.
0: It's not a feeling I have data. I have objective nodal points. You put them together in a pattern. The pattern says her consciousness survived death and sent several sets of messages, including physical artifacts.
1: Well, you know, you're preaching to the converted here. I'm with you. I I know that she sent you those messages.
0: I'm just giving you a hard time. but. So it's <laughs> What else is new? John does that all the time. Okay. Um, we are at the top of the hour. So let me do a couple things here. There we go. I'm talking this morning with Jonathan Womack and Scott de Telambra, And we're going to be joined by uh, Georgia Lambert after the break at the top of the hour. We're talking about past lives. We finally got around to talking about past lives on other planets. I have millions of questions, including kind of like, and I'm going to let you get ready for this, Scott, past lives, not just on any other planet in any other galaxy far, far away. But what about the planet Mars? And I've got a story about a reincarnative experience, regress discovery from Mars, when we come back. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hugland. We shall return.
5: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Listen while you travel or as an environment for your endeavors. $0.08 an episode, two and a half cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
0: And welcome back everyone. It is after midnight here in the Land of Enchantment, meaning it is Sunday night, Monday morning. So, ten eleven. Is there some significance in ten eleven? I believe Georgia has joined us. We already have Scott de la Tambra with us and uh Jonathan Wolmack. Georgia, I presume you've been listening to the last uh, at least half hour or so. Uh I've gotten myself in all kinds of hot water. Help <laughs> <laughs>
1: help
7: oh, I don't know, Richard. How do you do this to yourself? <laughs> good evening, everybody
6: good morning um
7: can I a couple of weird oh absolutely that's this? what
0: I want you to do. hand okay. raised welcome <clears throat>
7: <laughs> okay um or much earlier uh you we you were talking about uh the time between incarnations and 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 that kind of thing. I'd like to speak to that for a moment, you know. Part of the difficulty in esoteric or metaphysical thought is that they're way behind the new physics. They're still teaching things like karma and reincarnation linearly. And we know that time as we understand it um, is only a property of
0: this 3D reality. Well, let me stop you there. How do we know that? Because my data because, coming because from Robin is we 're dealing with time that 's flowing at different rates exactly. in different dimensions, and some of the timelines are moving so much faster that time is reversed, which is where john uh, what 's his name Oates got his old reverse speech thing
7: right, and that 's what I wanted to speak to if if you think two things if you first of all. The old model is, you know, way back in, in the beginning of this planet, we started out as unevolved animal slime and at some point we'll wind up as the Christ. And that's a linear progression. But if you think of incarnations like beads on a rosary or those beautiful prayer beads that you see in, in the east out of sandalwood, the, and, and, and each bead is an incarnation You can take that that line of beads and stretch it out linearly, but if you put it on a a desk and you kind of move it around with your finger into a waveform, what you have there is each incarnation is like a bead. Each incarnation is one right after the other, but all together the chain is making a waveform. Hmm. The, in, the incarnations that would be related to one another would be like the top incarnations of each wave, or the bottom incarnations of each wave, or the middle incarnations of each wave. So the, the, the past lives… So there's are, a
0: frequency match independent. Uh,
7: exactly.
0: Ah, and well so, see, that's uh, so torsion field physics.
7: Well, yeah. A wave was a wave and was a wave was a wave so the the past incarnations that would have most relevance to this one may not be the exact previous one but one oh, far back that's interesting the same same wavelength
0: the other matching thing is, matching waveforms
7: yes exactly ah. the other, the other thing is and this hasn't been studied enough because the field is too new is that a lot of incarnations that people remember are in the
0: future. Well, that not, messes up a timeline. <clears throat>
7: yeah, not <laughs> in the past. In in mythology, we have figures throughout mythology that live backwards. Merlin was one, moving from the future back into um, the past. Uh, and so – uh lately, uh, th- there have been a few books written on this. I think one of them was by Hank Wesselman uh, called, I think, Spirit Walker, where he describes uh, remembrances of future incarnations. And a lot of what he talks about is very similar to some of the predictions in turn in terms of uh, moving around landmasses that Edgar Cayce talked about. Hmm. So – when we're talking about past incarnations, perhaps it would be uh, more accurate to talk about other incarnations, not necessarily past or future. And so some extraplanetary incarnations may actually be future lives. You know, the, the, um, the book Hyperspace talks about how we view time as flowing from the past to the
0: future. Well, it's like well, I, my incredible in, in, intimations at nine that I was this this gorgeous redhead. It was tragedy. I was crying. I was disconsolate. They couldn't, and they nobody understood what was going on because it was an incredibly fun movie. Now looking back, I know, it was the shockwaves of Robin departing this dimension with me. Right. And it was a future event communicated backward through time, but there was nothing I could do about it. It was like, okay, so that's information. It's pointless. It's useless.
7: Well, my my point is that that we have to start thinking spherically rather than linearly, and that means that certain incarnations that may be remembered are on a timeline ahead of this one and not behind
2: this one. Gene Roddenberry.
7: Remember, remember the the movie based on the book, the illustrated man. Yeah, of
0: course, Ray Bradbury.
7: Um, The way it was portrayed in the movie, it was like every tattoo was a different lifetime and some of them were past and the, and Mm. some of them were future.
0: There's a whole new meaning to the phrase. You can't tell the players without a scorecard.
2: And Edgar Rice Burroughs is another classic example of somebody whose most previous life was lived in the future, and they're remembering or their most, um, you know, intense life, I guess is a better way to put it, but they're remembering – a future life, and then they end up becoming a science fiction writer. <laughs> yeah, but I would have interpreted Burroughs much differently, John. I would say that
0: Burroughs was remembering when he lived among the Tharks and the other ancient Martian civilizations. Uh, Georgia, if, if if you reach yeah. a closure point, let me ask Scott a question. Let me hit it directly on the head. In your thousands of regressions and tape recordings and transcripts, have you encountered a group of people? who lived previous lives on Mars
1: yes but not in the physical way we might think about it Um, they talk about living on Mars and Venus actually but in some quasi other dimensional aspect so they're in that space they're saying it's, it's Venus or it's Mars But it's not like we couldn't detect that dimension with our instruments right now in our 3D, you know, Earth humans. So I have had other people talk about living lives on these nearby uh, solar system buddy
2: planets, Mm -hmm.
1: but in different dimensions. So, but that's not to say that there haven't been civilizations that were just so far long back that, you know, I haven't come across anybody. That, you know, lived a physical life on Mars.
0: Now that's intriguing.
7: You know, the the metaphysical model supports exactly what he was just saying, that uh, I- at least in this solar system, this planet is the last one whose life wave is in 3D physical dense. That the other planets do have activity, but it's in a higher frequency than what we experience here, but that may not have always been the case.
0: Well, remember, we found something really astonishing on Mars in the last few months. Uh, We've landed this Perseverance rover in a place called Jezero crater in perhaps the dullest, stupidest place to land because there's nothing really interesting around it. But if she goes south and they're getting a little closer because they're moving south for the time being, At the very edge of the crater to the south, there are these stunning, huge uh, objects, pyramids, ancient eroded pyramidal forms that are miles across and separated by several miles between them. And one set are arrayed in the exact pattern of the Giza Plateau with two big guys and one smaller guy offset at an angle. And right next door are much smaller versions that are about the same size as the Giza pyramids, and they're reversed. They're like the mirror image of the Giza geometry in the correct version that we see on the Giza plateau. And from other work, we've established a relationship between the Giza plateau, the Sphinx, Sidonia, and Mars. And so what we seem to see in Jezero is a very large ancient, ancient complex that's backwards to what we're seeing in a much smaller form. And we can actually do a provisional dating based on the proper motion of the stars that make up the Orion belt star constellation pattern asterism on which the Giza Plateau is patterned and which we believe now the mirror image, much bigger scale version at Jezero is patterned. But this mirror image, to me, implies some incredible break with a timeline, with dimensions. It's almost like something took Mars and Earth and the solar system and stuck them in a backwards phantom zone like out of the Superman tradition, movies, whatever. And we are cut off from the rest of dimensions by this bubble of reverse space time where stuff happening here is, is, is diminished. The communication between our bubble and the rest of reality is not what it would have been before this catastrophic event took place. And the one thing we haven't nailed down yet is when, in fact, this may have happened.
2: And I think 2012 is a chance for us to change things, you know, enter this ascension period that Scott mentioned. Uh, The galactic alignment has given our little planet in this little corner of the galaxy a new energy and depending on how we use that will determine the course of uh, history going forward so it's very important how you know we watch politics and all this and uh, there's a lot of strife in the world oh my god i'm actually agreeing with john that's amazing
0: (laughs) (laughs) no it's the end of the processional cycle then the processional cycle which is 25 920 in the canonical number the real number is different but the the model number is 25920. If you look at any astronomy book on precession, that's the number that will fall out of the text. That number is an idealized number, and it is central to hyperdimensional torsion field physics. It's not an accident that that number is embodied in the Earth's precessional cycle. As it's not an accident that the moon is located 60 radii away from Earth, or that it's 2160 miles in diameter, which is a subfunction of 25920, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In other words, everywhere we look in the solar system, we see degraded versions of archetypal, perfect, hyper-dimensional numbers laid out in the literal configuration of the bodies orbiting this star that cannot be an accident agreed so scott you're point. being very very quiet
1: oh i'm i'm enjoying listening uh i want to say hi to georgia it's really nice to uh make your acquaintance georgia you
0: too you too so you guys had never met no oh i thought john said he'd had you on the show Oh, separately. Oh, we were all separately. Oh, you didn't mix the streams. <laughs>
2: we may do that.
0: <laughs> you need to cross the streams, John. Interesting <laughs> things happen when you cross the streams. Okay. Back to you know, Georgia. So the know, metaphysical model, go ahead.
7: The Well, the metaphysical model, of course, is, as we've talked about so many times, Richard, are wheels within wheels, within wheels, the same pattern fractally and holographically repeating itself. But certainly, um, a tradition states that at one time the spiritual guides and hierarchy of this planet walked among human beings and that um, because of uh, wars that took place and, and humanity's misuse of its creative ability that um, uh, the term anti which is uh, a threat of consciousness to higher realms was uh, not completely broken, but broken, and we forgot that we're part of a bigger life. Uh, but we are now entering a time when that is being rebuilt. Wait, wait, wait! And
0: we forgot, or something made us forget. Remember, my model is the physics is broken.
7: Right. Uh, I would say I would say it was both. It was kind of this planet was sort of put on <laughs> on. Uh, uh, probation and and uh, uh, the, the spiritual hierarchy didn't with, uh, withdraw very far, but withdrew from from physicality and uh, placed and rebuilt as we move into this next age. And we are on the precipice of having a lot of stuff that was broken be reforged, and uh, that's part of the promise of this time that we're. nosing into and that means of course that humanity will not only meet the bigger family out there but will realize that we are not necessarily top of the food chain and that is going to mean a huge identity crisis for humanity and humanity discovering other dimensions the fact that we are not just these bodies that we are our, our consciousness and so there's a lot right around the corner and what we're seeing in terms of the chaos going on on the planet right now is the resistance of all these old crystallized nodding my head with nodding
0: uh, never works on radio (laughs) get get a little closer to the mic scott please
1: that's why i announced it but um so yeah i totally agree with um george on that i just wanted to bring something up you're talking about broken physics I'm curious, Richard, If there, what are the scientific theories of the asteroid belt?
0: How is that formed? Well, the mainstream model is that it's a planet that never kind of got its acts together because of Jupiter's gravitational influence. Our model, which goes back to Van Flandern, who was a friend of mine. He was a major astronomer at the uh, U.S. Naval Observatory. Uh, it's called the EPH model. The exploded planet hypothesis and it says that the asteroids are the remnants as are the long-period comets of a larger planet that used to orbit the Sun kind of where the asteroids are now and at some point in the distant distant past uh, it blew up and Tom never got the idea that it was not a natural force that blew it up Um, I've always thought I got into the Sidonia business that it was a war it was the war to end all wars it was the major huge cataclysmic event in solar system history that kind of brought the Academy to a shattering end or a different time track and that's the event that's memorialized at the Jezero crater the mirror images on different scales of the Giza plateau geometry which is incredibly indicative of something catastrophic happening at the level of space-time itself. You know, the Phantom Zone thing, the cataclysm, you know, effects of, of a war gone radically wrong, where an entire planet was destroyed, the shattering effects on the rest of the solar system we're still living with, a broken physics, which has been quietly trying to build back to a new resonance, And as we pass these nodes we get extraordinary things happening in the physics like is happening now where everything is going on on earth is part of this grand anticipation of a peak when a new future will be defined primarily because of the field and the interaction of human consciousness with the field by human consciousness and something or someone is trying their worst to make everybody so terrified of the transition that they imprint the fear porn on the next cycle, as opposed to letting it evolve on its own.
7: Well, you know, Richard, as we've talked about in, in other shows, that the two weapons used since time out of mind to control the masses are fear and guilt. Fear is a negative attachment to the future, Guilt is a negative attachment to the past, and it paralyzes the present moment. Both of those
1: paralyze the present moment. I just wanted to add that I had a client who talked about this. This is partly why uh, I mentioned it. Somehow it came up in a session, and she was connected with some uh, spiritual being. And I just asked, uh, you know, what was the origin of the asteroid belt? And they said that it was a planet or planetoid or perhaps a moon that was destroyed by a certain faction as a message. Um, When the earth was getting ready to be populated by a human type of um, beings, um, there was another faction out there who had other ideas about the earth. They wanted to use it for their own purposes, and so they sort of sent a message um, to the powers that be, the uh, you know planetary angels or whatever you want to call them. They said, "Look, kind of like a mafia. Look, Joey, let's send them a message." (laughs) So, uh, so they sent a message. Look what we can do. Um, But when they did that, they were sort of uh, by some sort of great um, police, galactic police force. They were like tossed out of here. But um, anyway, I thought it was an interesting story.
0: Well, it's a story which is paralleled in the science that we painstakingly spent 40-some years trying to put together.
7: The metaphysical model goes with the uh, exploded planet theory. And I've heard various names given to this planet. One of the, the ones that shows up most in the literature is Maldek.
0: Yeah, I was thinking Maldek, from which we get a Latin derivative of malevolent, malice, evil.
7: Well, we could do a whole show on the esoterics of the English alphabet, and it's not <laughs> – it's, it's every letter. By the way, our, our Roman alphabet comes from Arabic star lore. And the R alphabet starts with A, which is a trinity that begins the the cycle. It ends with a Z, which is the Kabbalistic lightning flash. And exactly in the middle of the alphabet is the letter M for matter, mother, mind, middle.
0: Hmm. Or muddle. (laughs) Or muddle. (laughs) Uh Oh, am I sounding too cynical tonight, guys? No. No way.
1: We love it. Okay.
0: Okay, um, we've got about five minutes till the bottom of the hour. So let's go back to the other planet, uh, you know, thread, and then we'll pick up on something radically different after the bottom of the hour, and everybody can play. So um, when people report living on other planets, do they actually know which ones, like in this system? Do they know it's Mars? Do they know it's and why would you think it's another dimension and not just an ancient ancient civilization that's so old that there's no you know contemporary terrestrial record uh,
1: because that's just what they report, or their guides who are speaking through them uh report um they report yeah it was it was Mars or it was Venus, but it was it's a different dimensional or vibrational or frequency rate, um, sort of a different dimension. So it's not something I would uh, toss in there. But for other people living on planets uh, that may be far, far away, or have lived lifetimes on other planets far, far away, um, there's just a a wide variety, a wide variety of, of different places. Like I say, some Uh, Maybe we could see with the naked eye. Some we might have a name or a designation for. Others are so far away, we're not aware of them from um, this world. But so we'll just ask questions about them. You know, what's it like? there? I have some people who live lives on planets that no longer exist. They may have exploded. Their sun may have gone nova or something like that.
3: Mm-hmm. Maybe
1: that's why they're incarnating here now because, uh, you know, they're home. Doctors. Yeah, but it comes
0: back to the Casablanca question. Of all the gin joints in all the world, why are they here now? I mean, I have my own kind of, you know, idea, <laughs> but I want to hear what you guys think first. Well, the metaphysical
7: model is that the process of initiation or how we grow here is like a forced march. And it's different than in most places, which is much more gentle and, uh, and, and, and long. And so even though it's the school of hard knocks, there's things that can be done here uh, that can't be done in other places.
0: It's like the old song, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, this goes in parallel with my idea, which is because something horrible happened in the physics, the war. This system is unique or almost unique. It's like the one place you can experience stuff that you really can't experience because the experiment here was unique. And something interrupted it. Something tragic and awful and diabolical happened to try to kill it in the crib. And now we're in the aftermath of that set of events. And the physics is coming to another crescendo. We're back. To the processional model, which, by the way, gentlemen, you may not have heard the show I did a few days ago, where it literally was encoded in the aircraft tail number of JFK's Air Force One.
2: Can I throw something out there, Richard? No,
0: I have you here just to sit and listen. Just go ahead, John. Come on.
2: Well, it's going to be out of the box. Really? Know. Good. <laughs> okay. Well, in my experience, the, our solar system is teaming with other folks that are here working on the physics. And I'm...
0: Working come to on understand. it or because of it? Because the way I'm looking at it, it's kind of like Gene and his e-ticket you know you want to be here at the right time and and I think Scott used the term Las Vegas it's it's be there or be square now is when it whatever it is is really happening and when something can control the river and if you're not here you're going to miss all the fun the excitement the experience or the ability to make a meaningful Difference. Remember that great line at the end of generations when Kirk who's dying on the bridge looks up at Spock and he says, did we make a
2: difference? Imagine being one of the aliens and having your last life was on Earth and now you're here working on the solar system as a type two civilization alien from that that's going on. That kind of scenario. Okay, and you know this how? I don't I can't prove this. This is just No from no no don't don't, my... don't 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 don't
0: qualify it. Just tell me. How do you how do you think you know this?
2: You do out of body stuff. Travels. I
0: have you met going these going out folks of body for
2: fifty six years. <laughs> and you and <laughs> you've
0: interacted with them and you've had conversations?
2: Uh yeah, as well it's all telepathic, but yes. Are the,
0: Sorry the we, we, we are going to both have to break unless I do something drastic which I'm going to do I cannot not play this song. It's so appropriate to the moment in which we exist. We shall return mountain
8: or a carnival balloon Like a carousel that's turning, running rings around the moon. Like a clock whose hands are sweeping past the minutes of its face. And the world is like an apple whirling silently in space. Like the circles that you find. Windmills of your mind Like a tunnel that you follow To a tunnel of its own Down a hollow to a cavern where the sun has never shown Like a door that keeps revolving in a half-forgotten dream. All the ripples from the pebbles Someone opens in a stream Like a clock whose hands are sweeping Past the minutes of its fame, And the world is like a map Whirling silently in space Like the circles that you find In the windmill. Love
6: side of TheOthersideOfMidnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hoagland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The Other Side of Midnight.com. The jangles
8: in your head.
3: Why did summer go so quickly? Was it something that you said?
8: Lovers walk along a shore and. Desert. distant drumming just the fingers of your hand pictures hanging in a hallway and the fragment of a song, half-remembered names and faces but to whom do they belong when you knew that it was over you were suddenly aware that the autumn leaves were turning
0: to the color of it. And welcome back to the other side of midnight. For this Sunday night, Monday morning here in the Land of Enchantment. This song is so evocative of the cycles we've been talking about all evening. Beyond Earth, beyond the solar system, beyond this galaxy.
8: Like the circles that you find in the windmills of your
0: And we are back. You were saying, Scott?
1: Uh, gosh, I don't remember <laughs> what I was saying. I got lost in that song. It's really isn't song.
0: it amazing? But Georgia, help, help! It, I mean, Streisand, whoever wrote that. Uh, I'm 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 blanking on who wrote it. Uh, very famous songwriter. Sondheim. Sondheim. It? It's so emblematic of of the realities we've been discussing tonight at all the dimensional levels that you want to encompass in the windmills Mm -hmm. remember the first prime directive of hyperdimensional physics is rotation 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 so have you remembered scott
1: well i think we were talking about the asteroid belt and all of that
0: well, mm-hmm. I was asking I, I asked you about how do they know which planet they came from and you said because of different dimensions and then you brought up the asteroid thing and the idea that it's an exploded planet from from your sourcing and I said from our work it's the same and then that to me is the break point when the physics was shattered and changed and we did this dimensional shift which was not of our choosing because the bad guys wanted to stifle this experiment in the crib or divert it down a timeline where it would not have the long positive cascading effects. In other words, the physics was broken.
1: Uh, I think there's definitely been tampering with our world uh, through the ages for a long time for many
0: different factions. Now the date of this by the way is 66 million years ago, does that ring a bell?
1: Uh, well, that's when the asteroid came and
0: knocked out the dinosaurs, supposedly. Yep. And you want to know where it came on Earth, where it appeared? I think it was off Yucatan, Mexico. Yep. And do you, have you ever heard of any of the mathematics that go with the hyperdimensional model? No, sir. The asteroid or the object that was aimed at the Earth, because it was aimed and I can prove it, was aimed at 19.5 degrees which is where you strike a planet to kill it. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened on the moon. Mm -hmm. And that scar is called Mari Oriental, and it's a basin caused by an asteroid impact, again, directed at 19.5 north latitude. There's another large basin on the far side called Siakhovsky, named after the Russian genius who said, Mankind was born in a cradle, but you can't live in a cradle forever, and that's at 19.5 south. So we have these scientific, verifiable, three-dimensional confirmations of bad people doing horrible things to this solar system deliberately again and again to change the physics of the ultimate reality.
1: So my question would be, why would they do that at a time when uh, dinosaurs were roaming the Earth?
0: Ah, what if dinosaurs were conscious beings? What if their evolution, as it continued, we would be dealing not with hominids, but we would have had huge versions of intelligent raptors, velociraptors, Saurids, uh, T-Rex, etc., etc., who ultimately one day would build spaceships and go places and would evolve thoughts that even we have never thought.
7: Or it could be that Earth was just collateral damage and the real target was Mars.
0: Or the planet that Mars orbited. Remember, Mars survived as one of the moons in, in, in Tom's model, two moons. The planet itself, Maldek, or it has other names, but that planet may have been the target, and that timeline may have been what someone wanted to change, truncate, destroy, alter, or eliminate.
7: Richard, that that book that I sent you a while back that had the uh, past life regressions by the hypnotist, and one of them was uh, A Lifetime on Mars. Was there – I don't remember. Was there any sense of time to that particular one? You, you know, remember? it's been a
0: while since I opened it, and I don't remember, which really, you know, was a kind of shame on me. Uh, I, I should have kind of been – I don't
7: there. remember either.
0: I think it was more like 19th century –
7: yeah, but I mean her 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 sense of when she lived on Mars.
0: You know the hardest part, and correct me, gentlemen, if I'm wrong in these things, is to get a sense of time. There are no digital watches and calendars that crop up in these hypnotic regressions, so getting time is really hard.
1: Um, sometimes, but uh, sometimes. usually some higher aspect
0: of a person that will be able to sort
1: of rise up and look at the calendar, so to speak, and say, well, this is, uh, you know, 2000 BC, or this is. Oh, really? Yeah. And then we talk to their spirit guides as well. I usually do in my sessions. And so I'll check with them, you know, when was this? And they'll, they'll basically pinpoint it for us. So it's not that hard. Hmm. Okay.
7: Edgar, Edgar Casey had a sense of when things were when when he would pick up on past lives of people. Yeah, hmm. I
1: remember reading that he would talk
0: he would he might even um
1: yeah, like put a date or at least a century or something like that.
0: Okay. Um going back to my and I hate to do this, personal experience because it's the only, you know, firsthand data I've got, so I'm working with what I got. Um Are there reports in your catalog of thousands of regressions, Scott, of people reincarnating as creatures, as animals, as insects, as little beings, not human?
1: Well, that's a really interesting question, too. And, you know, I had a case uh, some years back. Or this person said uh, and they told me it was okay to talk about it this person said this person wrote me and said my daughter thinks she was a fox in a past life hmm and uh, is that possible and uh, to my thinking and to my experience at that time I would think probably not although spirits could inhabit the body of a fox just to see what that's like for a while but it's not like they incarnated as that being per se. They might ride on an eagle.
0: So we're like talking course. about walk-ins as opposed to uh, transubstantiation. Or,
1: uh, <laughs> not, uh, um, perhaps walk-ins or maybe ride-alongs
2: we could say. Okay.
0: Could I throw in something, Richard? Uh, no, John. You've got to be totally quiet.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> Robert Monroe.
0: Ah, when, Bob Monroe, yes.
2: Yes, there's a section in his book. Hemi-Sync,
0: where... Monroe Institute, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Et
2: Correct. He, this was at a point where he was going out of body and he's flying up to uh, Earth orbit and somebody grabs him. And he's like, oh, who are you? And this person says, oh, I thought you were somebody else. I thought you were my friend. And this person's really sad. And it turns out that this person who... Bob calls B.B., his friend B.B. Him and B.B. came to Earth together, and Robert Monroe said, I'm going to give this a try. B.B. said, "Looks, I, I don't like the looks. <laughs> it looks pretty crazy. I'm not going to do it. And that's why – Wait, recognized- you, you You you
0: totally lost me. Monroe is reporting an
2: out-of-body where he goes above the Earth into Earth orbit, right? He's going up to meet his spirit guide. They meet in Earth orbit, Okay. And somebody – grabs him another spirit right grabs him and he doesn't robert doesn't know who it is at this time he fought, you know but uh he learns later that they came here together anyway. oh okay that's the part that i dropped okay yeah so anyway this bb what so wait, was wait 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 he, you, you
0: mean you can actually be amnesiac in this reincarnative process you can forget stuff
2: it's it's imperative. Otherwise, it interferes with your current mission and so forth. So, but yeah, um, BB says, oh, come with me. I want to show you something really cool. Oh wait,
0: wait, John, let me stop.
2: Isn't that directly contradictory to to Scott's
0: early discussion of couples that reincarnate again and again and again together?
2: Yeah, they make that decision when they're in the spirit world, and then they go down on Earth and they have to forget. But Monroe forgot his friend. But his friend his- did not forget yeah. Monroe. Right. And But when he stopped Robert there, and he grabbed him. He says, oh, I thought you were somebody else. Because Robert's energy had evolved and increased and grown. And that's why you still have that ident. You know, we all have that fingerprint. But it had changed from his life, you know, living on Earth. So anyway, BB's like, come on, I want to show you something really cool. So they shoot up into the sky, and they're they're in a bird. There's two birds flying, and Robert's like, "What? The, I'm mm-hmm. in a bird, and mm-hmm. I'm flying." <laughs> yeah, he goes, "Come on!" They go down, they go into the ocean. Now they're in a fish. Robert's like, "Oh wow, this is really crazy. I'm I'm swimming, I'm a fish." And then he sees another fish coming at him, some um, larger predator, and its mouth opens, and it's about to eat Robert. <laughs> so. BB pulls them out and they're they're floating above the ocean and Roberts like, wow, that was close." And BB says, "Yeah, I didn't you don't want to you don't want to go through that part where you get eaten." But uh okay, come on, one more. So they go to like the Serengeti plain. Now Roberts in a leopard sitting in a tree and BB's another leopard, you know, there on the tree and they're chilling out. And B.B.'s like, come on, let's go. So they jump off the tree. They go running. And Robert Monroe's describing how the tail is and especially the stents. He's like, oh, my God, I can smell this over there. I smell that. I can smell that. There's like hundreds of smells. I could not smell. It's, it's amazing. And, the, and he's just describing what it's like to be. So, yes, there are these ride-alongs. Hmm. Okay.
0: Georgia, awesome. you know what I'm going to ask next, right? Can, can I?
1: Can it could be a my, variety of uh, well, wait, I finish my story about the fox girl?
0: Oh, yeah, by only. Sorry. Oh, sorry. sorry.
1: Okay. Thank you. No worries. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt. But, um, yeah, so our uh, mother's very worried about the girl. She thinks she was a fox in her life. I was like, I don't know. Bring her in. So we do this regression, and darned I mean if she didn't have me convinced I mean she was a fox she was talking about some of the stuff Jonathan just talked about like being able to see smells like almost trails in the grass and the sky was sort of a different color and the grass had a blue tinge and all these kind of things like stuff I, I never really read about I don't know if that's how foxes perceive perceived the world but the way she described everything was just amazing and then Afterwards, I was sort of uh, blown away and I was like, well, why would a sort of a human soul want to incarnate as a fox? And it was because in this life here where I met her, she has a certain condition. I don't want to say what it is, but um a certain condition where she's going to perceive things really, really differently. Let's say it's on the autism spectrum. And so... This Fox life was sort of a preparation for the current life as a person who's going to have a different way of perceiving things.
0: Why couldn't she just use that experience to avoid the current life where she has severe handicaps?
1: She, she could do anything she wanted, but she wanted to do both of these lives, I suppose. She wanted to do this life as a person uh, with an autism, uh, you know, condition. Uh, but so in preparation, she wanted to live as an animal.
2: So hmm. why? I mean, why do people live lives, you know? Of people of choose. Yeah, people voluntarily choose. Your spirit guide will get you to choose a life that you would think is really crappy. But this is what you need to learn and what you need to go no, through. Oh, we're back, so back they, to that model. Okay. Yeah, you voluntarily will choose some really crappy lives. <laughs> There's another, there's, well. another
7: model, there's another model here. It's not just about learning lessons. Uh, and it has to do with the function of humanity as a kingdom in nature for the planet. Uh, we are, as a kingdom, the agent of planetary transmutation. We begin the involutionary cycle in purity. I mean, in innocence, and we finish it in purity. They look the same, but they're not. As we descend into matter, we not only gain and learn experience and, and learn how to master matter, but the matter that we take to ourselves is quickened and lifted in vibratory frequency by our interaction with it. And as we begin the pull homeward on the evolutionary side, we take that imprisoned planetary consciousness and matter with us and lift the whole thing. So it's not just about our personal experience. It's also how that fits in to the function we perform for the planet.
0: Well put. Hmm. Well, there is this dichotomy between service to self and service to others. And, you know, what John and I've talked about many times Seems to come off more toward the uh, service to self, experience, lessons, karma, you know, mastering this, uh, supplanting that. It's all very I-I-I-centered. And I go back to that generation's line when Kirk, you know, is dying and he says to Picard, did we make a difference? And Robin is gone when, for the last two years, given her background and her proclivities and her training and everything that she learned to do, would have made an incredible difference now. And she's not here to make that difference. And to me,
2: it's such a waste. Yeah, but she saved your life.
0: Yeah, but that was one data point 20 years ago. They one care. data
2: point. When you're in the spirit world... You, that doesn't matter. Twenty years ago, it's an important. Thing. We didn't
0: have to have twenty years together working on things together for that to still happen. You know, it could have been a touch and go. It could have been yes, she appears, being she disappears, and I'm still here. Why she did we? Have, so, why did we spend twenty years getting ready for the big reveal, and then her curtain comes down much too early? She may have. I don't know, but she may have decided to work from the other side
1: towards that same mission. She may still be pulling along with you, but in a a way that you can't see.
2: Good point,
0: Scott. Very inefficient, Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, it is.
3: Richard, you make zero sense.
0: Remember the remember the old cliche: as above, so below. You guys are talking (laughs) like you know life here is so different than life in other dimensions if there is an as above so below there has to be a continuity
2: yeah we're at school i mean it's that's pretty simple
0: yeah but it can be simple and wrong
2: and there's school on the other side i mean when you graduate here when you learn everything here there is to learn on earth how can one, there's one learn other everything places you do you live 10,000 lives and you've learned everything experienced everything there is there's no more for you to learn you've learned everything and you graduate again that's That's a model show me some proof that is my model yes this is the model that I put together after 50 plus years of exploring the spirit world
7: the problem is that we're talking about things that we don't have scientific uh, mechanics to prove yet but remember that uh Back in the 60s, when books like Dancing Wu Li Masters and of Physics mm-hmm. started making their appearance, it was bringing together physics with Eastern philosophy that had been around for ages. So the metaphysical model is, is not yet proven on some level, but that doesn't mean it won't be
0: in the near future. Well, again, I think we're coming up on this major nodal point, so um, I'm in agreement that, you know, this is the best show in town if you're looking for a show. Again, I go back to the how are these entities making a difference, or are they all just spectators waiting for us to either sink or swim on our own? Yes. Okay, I heard a yes. There's two more voices <laughs> out there to vote. They're
2: here to help us, but we, we have free will. So yeah, I, before we come here, we're like, okay, don't help me. when I, I don't want you to help me. I want to get through it on my own. Don't help me this time. So your spirit guide says, okay, I'm not going to help you. Then you get down here, and then you get in trouble. You're like, help me, help me. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, there's that going on. You have free will, but um, they are there to help you. But uh, you want to do it on your own so that it sticks. The lessons stick Mm. Okay, the lesson model. Okay, let me go back to Scott.
7: Go ahead. The the metaphysical model is that, uh, of course, the, the pattern is the same from the largest to the smallest. The planets are chakras within the body of the solar system. And that Earth is the keeper of solar kundalini and its creative force is directed by human consciousness and how human consciousness affects the grid. So because we do have free will on this planet, there are a lot of folks very interested on the choices that we're going to make here in the very near future.
0: One of the things that has bothered me, of many things, and we got about, I guess, three minutes till the end of, it's amazing how this time has flown, is given that we can now see how this physics is broken. The war did it and how does it do it? Well, when you muck up the formerly orderly progression of planets all moving according to beautiful mathematical harmonics and tones and you basically throw a huge monkey wrench. So instead of being harmonious, the physics is like fingernails on a blackboard, which is, you know, you know how that just makes you shudder. In all the years since that happened, Nobody has fixed it. Someone or some things like it broken. Why?
7: Well, if it's true that this planet has a certain creative force, keeping this planet asleep via its brain humanity means that that force can't be used to further the ends of the solar system and basically puts it out of commission until we wake up and remember what we're supposed to do here.
0: So when you say planet, are you talking about the planet itself or are you talking about humanity living on it? Both.
7: The planet is a living entity.
0: How do we know that?
7: Because everything in the, in the manifested universe
0: is alive. How do we know that? <laughs> break things down
7: to the quantum foam, you know, you go past atoms and, and subatomic particles down to the quantum foam level, you've got little white holes and black holes and things appearing and disappearing from this dimension um, There, there is no inanimate matter everything is alive because the universe is in manifestation it's the one thing we know about the great cosmic biggie, it is in manifestation of? The manifested universe
2: of uh, the uh,
4: the creator's thought. This, this is a see. Thought. That's
0: where I really have problems because if quote God knows everything, then we're all going through this for stupid reasons that have nothing to do with reality. Because it's all just a, a mind game. It's forgetting so you can remember, so you don't get bored.
7: I think that's. That's our view of things that is very Mm. limited based on how our brains think linearly. And who says that God knows everything? Maybe this is an evolving life that is learning.
0: Well, that gets into concepts of demiurges, et cetera, et cetera.
3: That's right. Hey, you know, guys,
0: we are out of time. We are so we're going to have to, you know all get together and do this again when we all agree to do this again. Uh, my guests this morning have been Georgia Lambert and Scott Latambra and uh, De La Tumbra and Johnson and Womack. And it has been an exquisitely interesting, if somewhat um, uncomfortable, at times conversation. and I think we probably will wind up uh, uh, doing this again. I just don't know exactly when we'll probably have to wait for a few clues in the three-dimensional universe to know when in Mark Twain's famous phrase, it's steamboat time again. Well, that was it for the weekend. We are uh, literally leaving Sunday night, Monday morning next week. Well, I'm planning something interesting. Can't tell you what yet, but uh, if it comes to pass, it will be interesting. So until then, same time, same bat channel, remember, third star on the left, straight until morning, and keep watching La Palma. Good night, everyone.